Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday morning. Pleased to be with you tonight. Uh, plenty of things uh, that I want to touch on throughout the course of of the evening, obviously, we will continue dissecting the Carson Wentz trade and talking about what the Eagles should do with the quarterback position because um, this is a really pivotal point now. We're obviously have Jalen Hurts, and you know, barring complete shocker, he will be one of the quarterbacks on the roster. But what do you do with the other spot? You know, do you draft somebody high? Do you sign a veteran? I mean, I'd be stunned if the Eagles don't at some point during this draft draft a quarterback to develop. You know, if they don't do it in the first round or, um, you know, I don't think they do it in the second round, but if they don't draft one at the top, I would expect the Eagles in the mid-rounds draft a quarterback that they can develop um, because, as Howie has said, they are a quarterback factory. And, uh, you know, we'll get into that comment a little later on that, you know, I, I think has been a little uh, has been a little overly criticized. I'll put it that way over the last year or so. So we will get into where the Eagles go from here a little later on in the show. Um, We will get to the Sixers as they get a big win last night against Chicago. And, you know, Joel Embiid's season, in many ways, is kind of flying under the radar in Philadelphia. I mean, we have been so wrapped up over the last six weeks with the Eagles mania, the Doug Peterson situation, the Carson Wentz situation, and we have not spoken nearly enough about the best single season I'm seeing any Philadelphia athlete have in 20 years. I mean, this is what this has been so far. This is the best season I've seen any Philadelphia athlete have since Allen Iverson in 2000-2001. I mean, better than... Wentz in 17, better than Vic in 10, um, better than, you know, I, I Ryan Howard in, in uh, what was his MVP year, better than Jimmy Rollins in, in 07. I mean, the, what Joel Embiid's doing right now is ridiculous. Like, he is the most dominating force in the NBA right now. Um, it does remind you of Shaq during those early 2000 runs when the Lakers were were three-peating and beat the Sixers 
and, and winning championships. It has been that kind of impressive. Uh, the way that Joel Embiid is just, just unstoppable in every single way right now. Sets a career high for points last night with 50. So we'll get to the Sixers um, a little later on, uh, Embiid in particular, and what the Sixers could potentially do at the deadline. Because when I look at this, uh, uh, they need to they need to improve this team. They have an opportunity right now to go to the NBA Finals. A legit opportunity to go to the NBA Finals. But Daryl Morey has work to do. They need to improve uh, the bench and potentially add a major piece. And, uh, you know, there's a guy now that, that I have an eye on. And it would cost a lot. But, you know, I, I, this piece could potentially get you over the top. And when you're looking at potentially taking on a team like the Brooklyn Nets down the line with that kind of firepower, you need firepower of your own. So we'll get to that as well. Um, but where we will start is with some more of the fallout from the Carson Wentz trade. And we'll examine how it all affects the Eagles over the coming nights and the coming weeks. Because the longer this goes on, the more separated we get from the trade, the less the focus will be on Carson. And the more the focus will turn to where do the Philadelphia Eagles go from here. But, you know, as Matt and I were talking about during the crossover, it's a situation where Carson Wentz will never completely divorce himself from the city of Philadelphia. And, you know, as I was leaving on Friday morning, I was listening to the something show uh, with Al and it's something Al was discussing. I think Al referred to it as like the hotel California where, you know, if you're an athlete in this town, that's as high profile as Carson Wentz was, you can never truly leave. And, you know, I think not even just a player, but a personality, like whenever there was a big event, in the NFL when Chip Kelly was in San Francisco. There would always be like a Philadelphia reporter there. And this will be the same situation with Carson Wentz. If Indianapolis goes to the playoffs, you know, a Zach Berman or a Les Bowen, Jeff McLean, any of these guys will be covering the Colts in the postseason. And, you know, Carson Wentz might not want to really have much to do with the city of Philadelphia after this, but he really doesn't have a choice because he is forever linked to this city because of his notoriety here and because of his career here. And in the end, the, the ugly way that this thing happened, the ugly way in which this, this finished. But, you know, the question now becomes from the Carson Wentz standpoint is how will his career take shape moving forward? Because, Carson Wentz has had a fascinating career so far where you look at 2016 um, and his rookie year, and it was it was impressive. You know, it was as impressive a a rookie year from a quarterback um, that I can really remember seeing certainly an Eagles quarterback. I I liked a lot of the things that I saw from Carson Wentz that year. Um, And, you know, I thought it was setting him up for success in the future. We all know what happened in 2017, the 11 and two season. Uh, the dominant performances, uh, the third down and red zone efficiency, which was just off the charts. 2018, 2019, up and down, but as a whole, I mean, it was still 
okay. I mean, the record wasn't great. 14 and 13 with him as the starting quarterback over the last over those 2 years. But at no point did you really think his career was was in jeopardy and then there's this year where everything falls apart and it's a complete disaster. And the question now becomes what is Carson Wentz moving forward? And we have argued this for weeks now as far as what were the biggest problems with Carson Wentz in Philadelphia in 2020? Was it the roster? Was it the lack of wide receivers? Was it the offensive line? Was it Doug Peterson's play calling? Was it Carson Wentz himself struggling from either a physical or a mental perspective or both? And it is going to be so interesting to see how he does this year with the Indianapolis Colts. And quite frankly, at this point, I mean, I don't know. It's obviously way too early to tell. We're going to have to see how things play out as this season begins, as it unfolds. But um, I got to just start with some of the national reaction here. Because to me, it has been way over the top. And let's start with, uh, uh, you know, one that was more mild. Uh, But Lewis Riddick on ESPN after the trade, uh, talking about why the Colts uh, ultimately made this move to acquire Carson Wentz. Yeah, Kenny, you know how I feel about relationships and how they're really the driving and deciding factor when it comes to extracting, you know, maximum performance out of players and the game of football in particular. And I think this is one of those one of those cases where the Indianapolis Colts, they believe that this is exactly what Carson needs. He needs to be around people who he really does get along with, people who he believes understands him. Chris Ballard, the GM, and, and Frank Reich believe that they understand him and that they'll, they'll have the kind of relationship that will result in them getting the kind of performance that is much closer to 2017 and late 2019 instead of what you saw in 2020. And if they can get that, if they can get that, this is a legit, legit title contender. There's no question about that. They have a strong team from top to bottom in all other areas, and they're going to get stronger once this free agency period and the draft concludes here in late April, early May. And maybe that happens. Maybe the Colts can get the most out of Carson Wentz. Maybe they can get, you know, I don't think that 2017 version is ever coming back. I talked about it the other night where I think there are kind of two extremes um, where 2017 is is at one end of the scale and 2020 is at the other end of the scale. I wouldn't expect Carson Wentz to play like he did in either of those seasons. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Um But which way is it leaning more towards? And, you know, can the Colts get the most out of him? Here's more uh, from NFL Network's Stacey Dales on the Colts' excitement of acquiring what they think in a franchise quarterback in Carson Wentz. Certainly. uh, We were on yesterday together, Patrick, and really you could see the writing on the wall with this one. The Indianapolis Colts are roughly $69 in cap space. This this was bound to happen. They were in great and are in great financial position with Chris Ballard and company. I don't want to get all mushy here, but I'm going to go match made in heaven. The stars aligned. Win-win situation. I can tell you I've talked with several sources with the Colts, um, multiple sources, and they are absolutely ecstatic about this. Frank Reich, the head coach, is ecstatic. Um, really, when you look at it from Carson Wentz's standpoint, you're getting a top 10 defense under the direction of Matt Eberflus. You're getting a Pro Bowl offensive line. And 
And now you have the 21st pick in the draft you can address at the tackle position because this is a tackle-rich draft. You have a monstrous backfield. If they can keep free agent Marlon Mack and add him to Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines and Wilkins, wow. And you have perimeter skill players that are and have the potential to be Pro Bowl type players. When you think of a guy like Michael Pittman, we'll see what they do with T.Y. Hilton, uh, you know, Paris Campbell, Pascal. This team is loaded. This is a win now situation, Patrick, for Carson Wentz. Now, you know, I like some of the things the Colts have. I wouldn't call them loaded. Like, I like Michael Pittman. I think he's a nice receiver. He did some nice things last year. But I certainly don't think this is a loaded team. And I think some of the the hyperbole surrounding the Indianapolis Colts and the hype surrounding the Indianapolis Colts is a little crazy right now. And, you know, we, we, we always like to play uh, sound from, from Greeny on the show, who we commonly make fun of on this show for his takes. But here's Mike Greenberg on uh, Carson Wentz being the winner of this whole deal. The biggest winner at all is Wentz. This is exactly what he wanted. This, this is the best case scenario for him. He goes to a great team that is 100% championship ready. He's going to play behind a great offensive line with really good weapons, an outstanding offensive coach. His games will be in a dome. They have a, a championship caliber defense. Can I say again how great his offensive line is? That is a tailor-made situation. Add water. And that's a Super Bowl contender. Now, we keep hearing this about the Colts being a Super Bowl contender. I mean, this is a team that got good quarterback play last year from Phil Rivers. I mean, Phil Rivers was good last year. And they were the final team in the postseason. They were the seventh seed. So, uh, I mean, I don't know how you can take Carson Wentz, who played the way he did in 2020, put him on the Colts, and just say this is a Super Bowl contender. And it's just things that, that national media people just begin to say. Here's uh, Emmanuel Acho on FS1 pretty much saying the same thing. So not only do they have youth, not only do they have talent, they have leadership, they have heart, they have the nucleus of what made Carson Wentz great, which is Frank Right. Colts, Super Bowl contenders, Rick Carson Wentz. That's it. I mean, since when did Frank Reich become Vince Lombardi? We talked about it before. It's it's insane. Uh, Dan, is this Dan Wilson producing a night? Like, I, I love Acho there saying, yeah, the, mo- the, the they have everything that the Eagles had in 2017. You know why? They have Frank Reich. Frank Reich might get himself on the Lombardi trophy. Like, Vince Lombardi's on the hot seat right here. I, I've never understood it. Like, even going back to... Everyone thought that when Frank Reich left and the Eagles started declining, that Doug wasn't really a good coach and Frank Reich was the mastermind behind the 2017 season. Did you watch them get bounced in the playoffs this year? Like, he didn't coach a good game. I don't get it. Like, I really have never understood. I, I, I think Frank Reich is fine. I have nothing against the guy. But the infatuation with him, league-wide, citywide and apparently league-wide, is way over the top. No, I think he's a good coach, but, but you look at the last three years— he has the exact same resume as Doug Peterson. Like, uh, Doug has a worse uh, overall season, but they both have two playoff appearances and one playoff win. Like, and, they both have the same exact, you know, postseason resume. And Doug Peterson was the head coach of a Super Bowl-winning team, and right. he was the offensive coordinator. I'm not saying he didn't have something to do with it. He, I'm sure, had a hand in Carson Wentz's 2017. But Doug Peterson was still calling the plays. At, like, I've never understood that argument. I've never understood the argument that somehow Doug Peterson – is invalid for the Philly special because Nick Foles suggested it. Like, that never happens. Right. Like, he still 
had the cojones to go through with it. It was still his game plan right. that won the game. It's ridiculous. Yeah, he still made the call. And then that, that you know, is something I've been bothered by as well. But here's one more. And we played this the other night. But here was Dan Orlovsky of ESPN, who's the number one Carson Wentz fan in all the land, uh, talking about Carson and just instantly becoming an MVP candidate. Dan, did Philly get enough for Wentz in your mind? No, absolutely not. I mean, we're talking about a guy that, when it's right, he's a top six or seven player in the NFL. You know, I think the, the reality for this move when it comes to the Colts is it places that I think there's four teams as we sit here today that are top of the AFC conference. Kansas City, obviously. Buffalo, obviously. Cleveland, and this puts Indy in that top four. Number two, I would put Carson Wentz into the MVP conversation. I believe in him and Indianapolis that much. And then three, I'd say this. This 2021 Colts team is going to look a heck of a lot like that 2017 Philadelphia Eagles team. You're talking about a top five offensive line and run game. That's what he had in Philly. Philly didn't have a star in 2017. They had like four or five really good pieces around them. That's what Indy has, top 10 defense. I believe in Carson Wentz, and I know everyone's talking about the mental aspect and all that, and we're going to get into that, but I think that this is a absolute home run for the Colts and something that the Eagles will absolutely regret two or three years from now. Now, listen, I think Carson Wentz is in a decent situation for him. I think Indianapolis is a good spot when you look at the roster, when you look at Frank Reich, some of the things they have in place. Um, I think Carson Wentz has a chance to be successful there. But this talk about MVP and Super Bowl contender and all this stuff, it's just way over the top to me. It is way over the top, and I don't get it. I don't understand how you can look at the way he played last season and just completely dismiss it and completely dismiss 2019, which was up and down. Until that final month, Carson Wentz hadn't played very well. 2018, which was average at best. That you can just dismiss all of that and look back at 2017. I don't know how you do it. And I want to know where you fall on this. As, as In terms of Carson Wentz and his potential to succeed in Indianapolis. I'm not saying he won't succeed. I think he has a much better chance there than he did in Philadelphia. It wasn't going to work here. It wasn't going to work for a number of reasons. It wasn't going to work because the locker room. It wasn't going to work because the history in the city, the history of the organization, um, and the fact that he is a guy that needs everything else around him to be perfect. The Eagles were not in a position to do that considering their salary cap situation. Um, and when you're paying him that kind of money, you can't, you know, fix the rest of the roster. You need the quarterback to make the guys around him better. Carson Wentz can't make the guys around him better. And that's not a slight. That, that's just the truth. So I want to know to start the show, how do you believe Carson Wentz will fare with the Colts? How will he do in Indianapolis? And really, like I said, you know, the 2017 and 2020, those are the two extremes. 2021, or, or I mean 2017 is at one end of the spectrum, 2020 is at the other end. I think we can all agree he's going to fall somewhere in that middle. It's not going to be as great as it was in 2017. It can't be as awful as it was in 2020. Which end of the spectrum in your mind 
will Carson Wentz be closer to in Indianapolis? I would lean toward 2020 because that's the more recent uh, sample size we've seen. And the things that he struggled with in 2016 are all the same things that he still struggles with now. You know, regardless of who his coach is, he has never shown the ability to um, fix a lot of his flaws, even in 2017. Some of his flaws that he had in 2016 were still there. The accuracy, the holding the ball too long. You know, all of a sudden, now you compound it with not seeing the field, with throwing interceptions. Uh, the fumbles have always been there. Which player in Indianapolis do you think Carson Wentz will be closer to? The 2017 version of Carson Wentz or the 2020 version of Carson Wentz? Uh, just something I want to throw out there uh, to start the show this morning. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. We have open lines to start the show. So if you want to get on that, you're welcome to. But we can address a number of different topics. I mean, for all the people who are tired about talking about Carson Wentz, I mean, we're we're – it's going to taper off. I mean, it's not it's not going to completely stop because, you know, he's obviously a very uh, important figure in this city and will always be an important figure in this city um, for some good reasons, some bad reasons. Uh, but uh, we will get into some other stuff. We'll get into some uh, Phillies a little later on. If you want to get in on the Phillies, uh, talk about spring training, you're welcome to. We have a little Phillies preview segment coming, on, uh, coming up later on. Um, you want to get in on the Sixers. And their win over Chicago and Joel Embiid's MVP caliber season. Uh, we will touch on that a little bit when uh, we get back. Um, or the Eagles and what should they do with the number six pick? What should they do with the quarterback position uh, as they have holes to fill? And what should they put around Jalen Hurts as far as uh, who, who, the kind of player they should bring into that quarterback room? be it a rookie, be it a veteran. Whatever you want to get in on, you're welcome to to start the show. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. In a couple minutes here, uh, I want to talk, you know, uh, about why it's a good fit for Carson Wentz and the difference between him and the other star who is still in this city right now. Because, you know, th the reason Carson Wentz didn't work out in Philadelphia, obviously a lot of it has to do with the Eagles organization, but he wasn't cut out for this city. And I know we make a lot about, and we joke a lot about, is he a Philly guy? You know, whether it's Carson Wentz or any athlete, you know, are they truly Philly guys? Well, Carson Wentz wasn't somebody who was cut out for Philadelphia. Uh, he just wasn't. Well, Joel Embiid is. And uh, I, I want to play some sound in a few minutes from Joel Embiid um, that is the kind of thing that you would have never heard Carson Wentz say. And you would have never, you know, Carson Wentz wouldn't have even ever thought about, you know, uh, looking at things this way because you need to be a certain kind of player, a certain kind of person to succeed in this city. And we'll, we'll dive into that a little further in a few minutes here. 215-592-9494. But how do you believe Carson Wentz will fare in Indianapolis? Um, I, I mean, I think he'll be fine. I, I don't think he'll be as bad as he was last year. 
But do I think he's getting back to 2017? Hell no. No way. And, uh, you know, we talked about it a lot the other night, but that team is, is – people talk about Super Bowl. I am not even sure that's a playoff team next year. Um, they were the seventh seed in the AFC this season. They would not have gotten in. They did not control their own destiny going into the final week of the season. And they struggled in the final week to beat a Jacksonville Jaguar team that had no incentive to win. If they had, you know, if the Miami Dolphins beat Buffalo in Week 17, the Colts don't even go to the playoffs. And I don't know how subbing Carson Wentz in for Phillip Rivers, while Phillip Rivers still playing at a high level last year, I don't know how that makes the Colts dramatically better, even if Carson Wentz plays well. And I certainly don't see how it makes him a Super Bowl contender. I think the Colts are much closer to being out of the playoffs altogether than they are to competing for the AFC title. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Brian in Lancaster. What's up, Brian? Hey, how you doing, man? I mean, I agree with you a little bit here, but I mean, how he can't be giving away Carson Wentz for basically a bag of potato chips. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, Carson Wentz had no desire to, to play here, Brian, so I don't know what you want I understand you what do. you mean, but do you? I, I really disagree with the fact. I really think he'll do better than Phillip Rivers in Indy. I think he will end up being more like an Andrew Luck, you know, maybe short-lived, but he'll still be a Pro Bowl kind of guy, a guy that can get him over maybe, maybe not to the Super Bowl, but I really think that he can, he can bring that different dynamic, and he – you're right. He he might not be a Philly guy, but I think a, a lower market like Indy, I think that's a right fit for Carson. I think he's got the right tools around him. And I, I really do think he, he will be like an Andrew Luck in Indy. Well, I mean, Andrew Luck was, was pretty damn good, Brian. I mean, you're talking about a guy that, that I mean, went to a championship game and went to the playoffs a bunch of years in a row. Like, what does it tell you, though, that, that – Nobody else had interest in Carson. Like, nobody else wanted him except the Colts. Yes, yes, that's a good point. I I know where you're coming from, but at the same time, Carson's been to the playoffs year in and year out. Yeah, he never fit it. He hasn't. That's that's factually not true, Brian. But he led the team to the playoffs at, like, what, is it three years in a row, kind of? I mean, no, I mean, 2018, that was that was Nick Foles led that team to the playoffs. If Carson stayed in, they weren't going to the playoffs that year. You don't think so? They were 6-7 and seven when, when Carson left, and Nick Foles won the last three games and got him in. I, I mean, I really think the team was coming together, though, because, I mean, we're, really, with Doug Peterson, I mean, yeah, in 2016, they came out hot when it, with, with beating the Steelers and all that, starting out hot. They kind of fell flat. 2017 was just great all around. 2018 and 19, and obviously last year was just a mess, but they came out a little slow. I really think they didn't help Carson out at all. Like, receivers, man, I mean, what, what? They brought back Deshaun? I love Deshaun, but, I mean, why why would they bring back this old man who, who only plays, like, two games a year, you know, celebrates and hurts himself in the end zone? No, that clearly – it clearly didn't work out with Deshaun, Brian. It didn't work out with a lot of the, the receivers they brought in, but – you know, don't you think when you're paying a quarterback top five money, he should be able to to at least make it work to some degree uh, with the guys that are around him? 
I mean, you can pay someone as much money as you want, but you still need help. I mean, it's, it's the, one of the biggest team sports. I mean, arguably the biggest team sport with the size of the roster. I yeah. mean, you got you got to get help. You got to get consistent help. I mean, look at the mess about, you know, the offensive line was just trash. I mean, obviously Brandon Brooks was hurt. You know, you bring in uh, Jason Peters back, you know, but he obviously wasn't himself when he was on the field. Uh, you, you, you get this rugby guy who, who has no experience. I mean, yeah, like. Brian, I mean, Malata played like one of the better tackles in the NFL last year. I agree with that. I that that is an upside, but I mean, it was still a gamble. You yeah, but it worked. But it worked. So, do you think you really think Carson Wentz isn't going to do that? Like, you don't think he'll be uh, comparable to a, an Andrew Luck? No, no, I don't, Brian. I appreciate the call. I mean, he might have some success, but like, do you forget how good Andrew Luck was? Like, Andrew Luck was one of the best young quarterbacks uh, to come into the NFL in a long, long time. And if it wasn't for injuries, Andrew Luck was on a a trajectory to be, I mean, a a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, like that's how good we're talking about with Andrew Luck. No, Carson Wentz isn't anywhere close to that. I mean, and and I I know, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest Carson fan. I'm not as high on Carson as a lot of people are, but... Do I expect him to play like Andrew Luck? No. I think that that's kind of crazy. Like, maybe he can play like Phillip Rivers. Maybe he can be better than Phillip Rivers at his advanced age because Phillip Rivers didn't have much arm strength left last year. That was pretty obvious. Carson Wentz, you'd think, physically, has more physical skills than uh, Phillip Rivers did last year. Certainly has more arm talent. Uh, needs to learn to harness that arm talent better and you know, be more accurate. But, no, I, I think Andrew Luck is kind of a wild comparison. And when you look at the amount of weapons, I I disagree with this notion that the Colts are like this loaded offense. I mean, you look at their receiving core. Michael Pittman is a nice receiver. He's a big-body guy. He's not like a deep threat. T.Y. Ty, Ty, Hilton looks like, he's, looks like he's done. He didn't do anything last year. You know, you got Zach Paschal. Paris Campbell. I mean, these guys aren't aren't great. Now the Colts do have cap space. If they're able to go out and sign a guy like Allen Robinson, that could change things a little bit. Um, but you know, their running backs are good. Jonathan Taylor's a good running back. You know, Naeem Hines a good receiving back. But this is by no means this kind of stacked offense. And the offensive line is is decent. I mean, Quentin Nelson is a hell of a hell of a guard. Um, but Anthony Costanzo just retired. They have holes to fill uh, at the tackle position. And while I think Carson Wentz has an opportunity to succeed, by no means do I, I think this thing is a lock. And by no means do I think this is some loaded situation that he's walking into in Indianapolis. Um, and, I, and I think that aspect of things has been wildly, wildly um, you know, dramatized over the last few days here. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, uh, open lines right now. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. But you know, one thing that uh, Brian brought up that I do agree with is I do believe that Indianapolis 
is a good fit for Carson Wentz. And not just from an on-field perspective. Obviously, going to Indy, working with Frank Reich, is going to be something that benefits him, clearly. But I think what is also going to benefit Carson Wentz is going to a city like Indianapolis. Because, you know, I, I, I think it was already going to be difficult for Carson Wentz to handle the rigors and the demands of being a quarterback in Philadelphia. I, I think it is maybe the toughest job in the city, including mayor. Like, being quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles is one of the most high-profile, high-pressure jobs in this city. Being, you know, head coach and quarterback, you're criticized more than anybody else. And I think it was always going to be tough for Carson to succeed in that regard after the Super Bowl, what Foles did in 18 the year beyond that, which that was uh, Nick Foles who got them in the playoffs in 2018. It was always going to be difficult for him to succeed in this city because he wasn't he wasn't built for it. He wasn't. He was, you know, he came from North Dakota, and I think it was a bit of a culture shock for Carson Wentz to come in here. And the amount of pressure that comes with that position, like 2016, 2017, everybody's in love with them. And at that point, you know, it's easy and you love it. But when adversity hit, Carson Wentz struggled and ultimately, I feel like collapsed under that pressure. And in that area, going to a place like Indy, I think will be good for him. It's more low-key, less pressure, less media pressure, less fan pressure, less attention. Here, it's constant attention. You're always the center of attention. You're always being talked about. Now, I'm not saying Carson listens to WIP. I I doubt he does. Um, I don't think he follows all the reporting, but he certainly knows what's going on. And it's a lot to deal with. There's no doubt about that. But in a place like Indianapolis, you can be more reserved. There is less media uh, pressure and less things to deal with from that from that regard. But, you know, here in Philadelphia, we very much value players and people who are going to connect and want to connect with the fans in the city. Like, they, they want to make it a point to connect with the fans and the people here. And it's fascinating when you look back to the previous tenure of the Eagles. And the two guys on that team who were the leaders, Brian Dawkins and Donovan McNabb. Now, Brian Dawkins is a Hall of Famer. Donovan McNabb is not. Brian Dawkins is better comparably for his position than Donovan was. But Donovan was an incredibly important piece to this organization for a long time. Yet, he is not well regarded by a, 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 a lot of people in this fan base. I lo- personally love Donovan McNabb. I think he's the best quarterback in the history of this franchise. I think um, his resume speaks for itself. Five NFC Championship games. It's a shame they never won the Super Bowl. But I'm a huge Donovan McNabb fan. But Donovan McNabb, he never connected here. He never connected with the people here. He never truly got it. He responded to the pressure much better than Carson Wentz did. But he never truly connected. And Brian Dawkins, on the other hand, did. And it's why Brian Dawkins is beloved. And Donovan McNabb, I wouldn't say he's hated, but he's certainly not as well regarded 
as he should be for a player that did the kind of things that he did on the field in Philadelphia. And when you look at Wentz, I think it's so interesting to compare him to Joel Embiid because two to three years ago, these guys were contemporaries, like neck and neck in this town. I remember, um, you know, debates about who's the most popular athlete in Philadelphia, who's going to be the most popular athlete over the next decade. Will it be Carson Wentz? Will it be Joel Embiid? Well, it turns out Carson's not here anymore, um, but it was always going to be Embiid. Always. Because while Carson Wentz was always kind of reserved, and, you know, he would talk about liking the fans, but he never, you know, it always kind of seemed scripted. Like, kind of like the statement he sent out on Friday, which I'll give him credit for sending out that statement. It took a little while to do. Uh, but sent out the statement thanking the fans. It just seemed a little scripted. I saw actually a pretty funny thing where, uh, it was leaked Carson's text to one of his teammates, and somebody said it, it, it reads like a text you'd get in NBA 2K from like a generated player or something. They do like those storylines. That is kind of how it looked. It looked kind of robotic. Um, but Carson, you know, you felt like he was always guarded, and he never let you in. And we like when athletes truly show their emotions. And it's the difference between him and Embiid. And you look at Joel Embiid last night, goes for 50, and does the thing where, you know, he goes and pumps up the imaginary crowd that's not there. And it's why we, we love him. Because of the, that connection. And the way he truly cares and truly embraces the people here. And here was what Joel Embiid said after the game. Uh, last night uh, about, you know, doing that gesture and about, uh, you know, the, the fans in Philadelphia. Playing in Philly, uh, you know, I have a lot of pride and I play uh, for the fans and I play for the city. And, you know, all my goals when it comes to basketball are related to the city of Philadelphia. So I always feel like, uh, you know, they're here with us, even though they're not. Uh, so, uh, you know, I always, I always feel their presence. And that's a connection point. Like, it's something small, but it's important. And it's a connection point that Carson Wentz never found here. You know, he just, he didn't have the personality for it. He never found it. And you look at Joel Embiid, it's the polar opposite. And, you know, it hasn't always been great with Joel Embiid. Uh, Six months ago, Joel Embiid was in a very similar situation to the situation Carson Wentz was in at the end of this season. Sixers just got swept out of the bubble without Ben Simmons, and people were saying, well, look at Joel Embiid. You know, he can't step up. He can't carry the team around him. He can't do it on his own. You know, he's not good enough. He's fat. He's out of shape, all this stuff. And what did Joel Embiid do? He didn't demand a trade. He didn't ask out. He didn't run away. He went in the gym, and he got better. And I don't think it's BS when he talks about the fans like that. Like, you can tell... Joel Embiid loves the people here. Joel Embiid loves this city. And it is important. You know, it sounds like a lot of hokey BS. And, you know, we make fun of the Philly guy thing a lot. But there is an aspect of it that does matter and is real. And it's the difference between Carson Wentz and Joel Embiid. And why one guy is ultimately taking the next step and succeeding here. And the other guy couldn't handle the pressure. And that's part of the reason why he's gone. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494.
888-900-9494. Ryan in the Northeast, you'll be first right after the break. And then you, if you want to join the show, I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. In the 3 o'clock hour, we'll talk a little bit about what the Eagles could do at the quarterback position. Uh, whether, you know, they add a veteran or draft somebody. And, uh, I mean, they could very well draft the quarterback at number 6. And um, I don't think it would be a bad idea. I really don't. I mean, we'll, we'll see. And I'm not saying you have to, but if there's a guy you're in love with, you got to consider it. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And we'll get into the Sixers with the trade deadline coming up here um, because there's a name I would try to inquire about. And I don't know if this guy would be available. I don't know what it would take. I think it would be very difficult to get it done. Um, but, uh, you know, this team needs to be improved. And, um, you know, Daryl Morey, I don't know if he needs to make a big splash, but this would be a pretty big splash. So we will uh, examine that a little more as well as we go throughout the show. But if you want to get in on any of those topics, you're uh, welcome to. 215-592-9494. Talking about whether Carson Wentz will have success in Indianapolis and also just, you know, the difference between him and Joel Embiid because I do think it is a fascinating comparison when you look at the fact that these two guys were, they were going to be the faces of sports in this city along with Bryce Harper. And if you want to throw Ben Simmons in there, uh, for the next decade. Um, but their careers have gone completely different ways. Carson bottomed out. He's gone. Joel Embiid has ascended to an MVP. And I think some guys are made for the pressures and the difficulties that come with Philadelphia, and others aren't. And Carson Wentz just wasn't wasn't made for it. He wasn't built for it. Uh, Joel Embiid is. And, you know, that's why Joel Embiid um, is thriving here. And Carson Wentz ultimately... Uh, needed to get out of this city. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Ryan in the Northeast. What's up, Ryan? First of all, TK, I just want to say thank you, man. It's always a pleasure to catch you on my commute to work. You always provide great content. It's always a great conversation. Thanks for calling, man. Appreciate it. And listen. Uh, No, 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 man. I appreciate you. You really do provide good content over there. Cool. You know, City of Philadelphia appreciates you. Thanks. But anyway, talking about Carson Wentz, I'm, I'm in the minority here, I believe. I'm happy he was traded. I'm happy for all parties involved. This was best for him. It's what's best for the organization. I see great value in the picks that we got back, considering his level of play over the past. I, see, as soon as he got injured, I kind of assumed he would never came back, come back from to what he was. And I, he's proven me right thus far, I believe. Uh, the fact that we were able to acquire a third round this year's draft and a potential first round next year. The only thing that concerns me is, if he's playing at this same level, do the Colts maybe pull him when he's at that 55 to 60% of the snap mark to ensure that they're not losing a first-round pick on this guy? Uh, well, Ryan, yeah, that that I guess could be some level of concern. But you look at the, the situation with his contract now, this is pretty much a two-year commitment for the Colts. Like, like they would Correct. be taking a big dead dead cap hit if if they bail on him after one year. So I think they'll do everything they can uh, to make it work. And obviously, you know, you look at what happened this year. I mean, I think they also got to factor in. If they are committed to him for 2022, you've seen how he reacts when he's benched. And I think, you know, it would it would take him being just uh, as bad as he was last year, which I, I have a hard time seeing him be that bad. But um, uh, they, he would have to be so awful for them to pull him. And I just don't see that happening. 
Right, so I kind of agree. It's just it's kind of a thought that crossed my mind. Yeah. Now also, like, the whole the whole anti-Carson Wentz approach I take to everything, it's not a popular thing among my friends group. They're all car- diehard Carson Wentz fans. Uh, obviously, he's going to look better probably next year because he's playing behind arguably the best offensive line in the NFL. It never hurts having a guy like Quentin Nelson right in front of you. Right. He's going to protect you pretty well. So, not, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping he does play well because obviously if he plays well, it's better for us. We acquire a first-round pick. And, you know, everything's calm, copacetic. He's out of our conference. So, if he's playing well, it's not going to hurt us too bad unless somehow we manage to meet him in the Super Bowl. Right. And, uh, and the, then, odds uh, of, the odds of both those teams being in the Super Bowl are, are pretty slim, I'd say. Very slim. Very yeah. slim. I'm seeing a lot of people on Eagles Twitter saying that uh, – don't be surprised to see Colts in the Super Bowl. If they weren't good enough last year to make it to the Super Bowl, Carson Wentz isn't that quarterback to put your team over the top as 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 he's playing now, at least. Yeah, Ryan, I don't get it. Like, I don't get putting them up with the Chiefs or the Bills or, you know, really any of the, of these top teams. I don't even think they're the best team in their division. I still think Tennessee's better. I agree. Yeah. I agree 100%. Yeah, well, I appreciate I mean, it, man. I like that. And also, just to touch yeah. on the Sixers point, and then I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, sure. I think I know where you're getting the player they need to acquire, and I believe that you may be thinking the way I am, and that player Zach Levine. Uh, yeah, no. So bro, I'm just going to listen, and, and we'll jump in, and I'll listen to you jump into it. Yeah, Ryan, no, I appreciate it, man. And, yeah, I mean, Ryan's right. I mean, I watched that game last night, and, I mean, Zach Levine is in a lot of ways what the Sixers need. Now, I don't know if you can get that done. Like, and, and uh, I, I think the biggest problem with it is that you're dealing with the Chicago Bulls. And I believe Jerry Reinsdorf still owns that team. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I believe he does. He's, uh, I mean, he owned them during the Jordan era. And he, he's, I, I believe he still owns them. And the he does. Uh, thank you, Dan, for looking that up. And the Bulls, they never really go into full rebuild mode. Like, if the Bulls can stay in the – like, they're a dumb organization, essentially. And if the Bulls can stay in the middle – they will stay in the middle and compete, as frivolous and pointless as that is. But if you have an opportunity to offer Tyrese Maxey two first-round picks and two first-round pick swaps, three first-round pick swaps, that's a lot, certainly. Um, and you'd have to add some filler contracts in there. You know, you throw them a Mike Scott. You know, you throw them whatever you need to to match up the salaries. And I looked at Levine's uh, salary. He's on about $19 million this year, about $19 million next year. Very affordable number for a player like that. And if you can acquire a guy like that to pair with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris, all of a sudden you add the firepower to score with a team like Brooklyn. You know, you have uh, the kind of firepower – to, to compete with a team like that. You need a playmaking guard. You need a guy who can get his own shot, create for others. Um, I don't think stylistically it would be too much of an issue. I think the person who probably need to take, um, uh, you know, the biggest of a step back would be Tobias Harris, who'd have to play a little more off ball, uh, which, you know, is not really a strong suit. He's been better uh, in the role this year. Um, but, you know, maybe you could you could figure out a way to make it work because Brooklyn is coming on, and Brooklyn in the end, I, I think they're going to figure it out. They're just too talented. When you look at Harden and Durant and Kyrie Irving, 
They have so many places they can go for buckets in critical moments and down the stretch. Um, And I think the Sixers have a real opportunity this year. And I don't know if Zach Levine will be available. His name's been mentioned in trade rumors before. And it would obviously take a, a lot to get him and a lot to convince the Bulls to kind of move on. And they'd probably have to recognize the fact that they're not truly contenders and they'd have to go in, if not full tank mode, uh, you know, partial tank mode uh, to, to take a step back. Um but yeah, uh, last caller's right on. Uh, that is uh, the person that I was referencing. And if there's any way the Sixers could find a way to to make that happen and acquire Zach Levine, he would be exactly what they need uh, from an offensive perspective. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. But uh, I want your thoughts on the Sixers and whether – you know, you think Zach Levine is an attainable type guy, or who do you want to see them go after at the deadline? Because there are always guys that become available. You know, it, it it seems like a pipe dream. I get that, and it probably is. Like the odds of the Sixers ending up with Zach Levine are obviously, you know, it, it's not a good chance that happens. Um, but Daryl Morey does some things that are surprising, and. He loves making a big splash, and I think he's going to look to make a big splash again. Uh, but uh, looking for a guy like that, can they improve the bench? What do you want to see the Sixers do as the trade deadline approaches in about three, four weeks? 215-592-9494. Also, how will Carson Wentz fare in Indianapolis? Some we're discussing tonight. Steven Tampa will be first after the break. And then you, if you want to join the show, I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, with you on a Sunday morning. Dan, did you see this uh, this, this joke of, of a Lake Tahoe situation the NHL's got going on where the Golden Knights and Avalanche were playing a game on Saturday afternoon and the ice literally melted during the game, so they had to delay, they, they just finished the game like uh, like an hour ago, apparently? I, I did see this, yes. And the Flyers game had been all over the place in terms of timing as well. They're playing on the same ice tomorrow. It is a little weird that they had about a five-hour break between periods, but I think they ultimately – they didn't get it right to start, but I think they ultimately got it correct. I was watching it here in the studio. It looked a lot cooler at night. The ice obviously was in much better condition. I think they should just schedule it for night to begin with. Yeah, I mean, but but if you need to finish a game – in like the one a.m. hour, I, I don't well, think on the that's... East Coast it was nine p.m. local, right? But I mean that's that's not a recipe for success. I can't imagine NBC is very happy with this result. No, it's like a really long rain delay in baseball and like one of the marquee games of the year. Yeah, it's just the NHL is is a very poorly run league. I mean, they really is. And I mean, I'm I'm sorry for all the hockey fans out there, Dan. I'm assuming you're a big hockey guy. It gets more relevant by the day. It really does. It was so, I was going to say, I actually like, I think one of the things the NHL does well is these outdoor games in general. Not necessarily this situation, but I like the outdoor game. I don't know what your thought on it is. The the Flyers, rather, have played in a few. The two winter classics, a game with the link. I think they're always cool spectacles. This was a little weird with all of the time that moved around. And the hockey faithful, like, 
they kind of live in their own little world a little bit, like separate from the rest of sports, uh-huh. which I guess it's more of a niche sport, which to us makes it seem like they're kind of in their own little world. This situation seemed to have been handled poorly, but ultimately I am looking forward to this Flyers game here later tonight, actually. I mean, we'll see. We'll see if it gets played. We'll see if it gets finished. I mean, maybe It was a very cool aesthetic if you saw how the ice looked. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just... Not getting you revved up? Not really. I just... uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I, I don't know. I just... I I feel like um, you got to handle the situation better, and if you know... I have to imagine they knew this was an issue and move forward with it anyway, and... Like, especially with all the COVID issues the Flyers had this last week, it feels like they are absolutely forcing this game in for a money grab. Oh, well, yeah, they are like, down. Like, they were, they were down Giroux and Voracek the other night. They're going to be down them in this game. They, they're without four or five, you know, better skaters on the ice. It, it is a little forced. It is a money grab. One could argue that bringing sports back in a number of senses – is a money grab, like when the NBA was having all their COVID issues, still continually having COVID issues, college basketball. It's all a money grab in a sense, I suppose. But this especially, you're right. Yeah, and I mean, the NBA, yeah, you're right. I mean, the NBA having an all-star game is just Like stupid. that, What? yeah, what's that if it's not that, a money grab? That, that's that's that's. Ridiculous. How about having 25% of fans in some places when you know it's a bad idea? Yeah, no, that, that, that's definitely true. I just, uh, yeah, I, I the, these outdoor games, I don't know. They're, they, they don't I, I used you. to like them. Did you but work any at the? Now. Were you? No, you you would have been working. I, at no, the I I was. I uh well, I worked a game um the Winter Classic at Citizens Bank Park. Okay, how was that? Uh, it was it was our we did a broadcast from outside, and then uh Turtle and I watched the game from the Phillies dugout, which was pretty cool. Except you couldn't really see at anything. That's a bat. That's a great view for baseball. Bad view right. for hockey. It was pretty cool when they'd walk in uh and out for the periods because they walk right past us, but we had to watch a game on the big screen. You couldn't actually see the action on the ice because it's like below where the ice was sure because you know the ice is out at like second base and you're right. sitting there in the dugout there's a wall glass you can't really see much right but you know I, I think it was it was better when it was just a game or two each year when the now i think it's it, they've cheapened it a little bit that, that's that's, that's fair well they didn't have a winter classic this year right they're doing these two i'm not sure if they're doing any other i don't think they've done any others yeah but i think it's just these two for now i do like this idea and I was talking about this with Martucci as well, that like MLB is doing a Field of Dreams game this year. You would never see these types of things in a non-pandemic year because mm. you'd be losing all the fan revenue. But because you're not getting the fan revenue anyway, this is kind of an excuse to do it. Right. So, yeah. I mean, if you want to give your thoughts on it, uh, you're welcome to. 215-592-9494. Also talking about Carson Wentz and whether you feel like he will succeed in Indianapolis. Um you know, I think it'll be a better situation for him, but do I think that he is going to get back to 2017 level? I don't. And, uh, you know, uh, I think the Colts as a whole are closer to being out of the playoffs than they are uh, being a Super Bowl contender, as some might have you believe. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Go to Steve in Tampa. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. How's it going? Um, pretty good. How are you doing? I'm not. I'm not too bad, Steve. How, how's everything going? You you still uh, on a championship high from the Bucks Super Bowl win? Uh, it's sort of fading. You know, baseball's getting ready to start, and um, they'll go into another season. Um, hockey and stuff like that, ready to roll. Oh, by the way, t- uh, Toronto baseball team is playing down here too this year. Oh, they are playing down there. Okay, yeah, they're not the Canadian with the with the um, protocols. I think up there. I figured that so they would have gone. Dud- they're playing at Dudneen through uh, Bay. 
Okay, I figured they would have gone back to uh, to Buffalo, but okay, they, that makes sense. They played their spring training site. That that, that makes yeah. sense. Um, well, the hockey. Where, where are they playing this game? Lake Tahoe is where they're playing these games. Oh, where's Lake Lake, Lake Tahoe? Tahoe? Is that Nevada? That's California, isn't it? It is. I don't. I, I'm not good with this. Uh, okay, I'll take I'll take it at your word. I'll look it up, Steve. Lake Tahoe doesn't freeze too often. Listen, um, I, I got a question for you about uh, Wentz. I, I've heard a lot of things on the radio station uh, about how Wentz was treated, uh, and he was given, uh, you know, whatever he wanted, he got, and so on and so forth. Do you have any information on exactly what or how Wentz was treated differently than the other players? Um, I mean, I don't know exactly. I think it's base. It was basically, you know, uh, according to Malcolm Jenkins, they would not really point out his flaws. Um, they would coddle him. They wouldn't challenge him uh, to get better. And uh, you know, that's kind of the way I read it. And you know, they were afraid to tell him no. And whatever Carson wanted, Carson got. When you say they, are you talking about the Rose? I think it. I think it was organizational, Steve. I think it was everybody. I think it was from the front office to the coaching staff. Um, and honestly, I think it was all really uh, a culture that was set by the owner. And I think he's ultimately the person, um, you know, who I, I think needs to be held accountable for the culture that was created uh, with. Carson but there was Wentz. nothing in the clubhouse that was anything different, was there? Well, I mean, the <laughs> you can read a, a number of stories in which players. Uh, you know, spoke out about him. I mean, I don't think I'll I'll put it this way, Steve. I don't think the reporters are making him up. I mean, I, I you're talking about some reputable guys uh, who are reporting this stuff. I definitely think there were issues with Carson Wentz and his teammates. Okay, I I just you know you hear like um, I forgot the writers of Joe Santiago or whatever. Santa Liquido. Yeah, I Sequito. I mean, he wrote a story a while ago. Uh, about uh, what was going on in the clubhouse. And, you, you know, you read the story, you want to believe it, but, you know, nobody wants to be a source about how he got the story. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, the, well, you know well, how true it is. Yeah, no, I get that. But at the same time, you know, if Carson Wentz wields this kind of power within an organization and guys in this organization know that, I mean, they'd be crazy to put their name on it because they'd be gone. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, Sixers. Is there, let me see how I can phrase this question to you. Is there any way that Simmons and Embiid can be on the court at the same time, uh, and the team would win? Because without Simmons, there's basically no defense on that team. Well, so so what what. What were you asking, Steve? Can they be successful I mean, I mean, on the on the I mean, court at the same time? Embiid scores, Embiid scores fifty points. Right. Uh, without Embiid, Simmons was on the court. I think the game before, and went that's scoring a whole bunch of points. Yeah. But it seemed to me, together, they can't operate on the same court. There's not enough space for both of them when they play together. Is well, that true? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, what obviously well, obviously they're both not going to have the same amount of points when they're both playing because they don't need to carry the load. Like, you know, it's not the fact that Simmons got 42 points when Embiid was out, I don't think is right. necessarily a a 
negative to them playing together. It's just somebody's got to take up the slack when you're losing a, a guy that averages 30 points a game. And okay, because it just seems strange that Sims uh, got 42, and we got 50, and they didn't play at the same time. It, it, it just there's something that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, why no, is that happening? Well, I know I hear you, Steve, and I I appreciate the call. I I mean I think it's pretty obvious why it's happening. It's when when one of them's not playing, the other guy needs to take up the slack, and I don't think that's necessarily a, a bad thing. I mean, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, that this you know idea that they can't play together has always been has always been false. It has. I mean, ju- and, you know, all you have to do is look at the numbers. Like, you can look at the statistics. The Embiid and Simmons combination has never been the problem. The problem has been what is surrounding both of those guys. And, yeah, I did bring up last year at the end of the season the idea of maybe you do have to trade one of them. It wasn't that I wanted to do that, but – I had my concerns that you couldn't fix the things around them without trading one of them. Now, it turned out to be as simple as just getting a competent general manager in the mix. And, you know, he actually comes up with this novel idea that you have two guys who are best in the post, best in the paint, best in the mid-range as far as Embiid goes. Maybe we should surround them with shooters. Like, it's really not that complicated of an idea. And look at what's happened. It's opened things up uh, for 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 both of them. And, yeah, I mean, the problem has never been Simmons and Embiid and those two playing together. It's been the pieces surrounding them. And now that they have pieces surrounding them better, like Seth Curry, like Danny Green, even though I do think you need to upgrade the Danny Green spot, like Shake Milton, um, who hopefully when he gets back he can bolster that bench. Uh, but the problem is after that, and you're really – you're really light. I think you need either one of two things here. You need another big-time offensive scorer like a Zach Levine, which, I mean, I'm not trading Ben Simmons for Zach Levine. I'm only doing it if they'll take Maxi and a bunch of picks. You either need that or you need to significantly strengthen the bench. Um, and I'm not sure how you do that, but Daryl Morey is absolutely going to try, and he's absolutely uh you know, going to look to bolster this roster because um, to beat a team like Brooklyn, I don't think the Sixers are getting it done as currently put together. Uh, let's go to Bill in Quakertown. What's up, Bill? Hey, TK. How are you? Good. Are everything's going well? Yep, everything's uh, going yeah. well, Bill. Thanks for asking. Uh, Carson Westing, I'm happy he's gone. Uh, I think he's going to be closer to the 2020 season than the 2017 season. Uh, when he goes there to Indianapolis. Frank Wright is going to give him, like, simple plays to start out to get him comfortable. But who is Indianapolis going to be playing in, like, the first five or six games of the season? Because, you know, if they're going to be playing, let's say, like Kansas City, they have a really tough defense. And, you know, he could be holding on the ball too long, and he could actually, you know, revert back to 2020, you know, trying to make things happen. He could fumble the ball. Uh, I don't think. You know, I think he's done as really as a quarterback. I think he's just ever since Nick Foles, you know, in that thing there, and then he has a trophy or a statue, that's really, you know, why he wants to get out of town. Yeah, no, Bill, I agree. And it's going to be interesting because these next two – or these next two years and really this year, this is a big moment for Carson Wentz because you look at it, in two years, he could either be signing an extension with the Colts and – 
being their quarterback for the next five to ten years, or he could be out of the league. Like, that's how much of a range there is with Carson Wentz, and nobody really knows which way he's going to go. Exactly. So, especially, like, the uh, did they play Kansas City at all in, like, the first couple of games? I mean, what is their actual the, the schedule? The schedule is not out yet, uh, Bill. I mean, I, I don't know who – they are who the Colts are playing this year. They obviously play the teams in their division, but um, it'll be interesting next year when they host the Eagles in 2022. Yeah, I, I was, also the Sixers and stuff, I do believe they should get the Levine dude, only because, like, uh, what is it? Uh, Simmons is, like, hurt a lot, and so is Joel and Eve or something like that. Todd with the back, but not always going to be playing together. You know, Abid needs a day off, especially after back-to-back games. So getting... You know, Zach Levine would be definitely an upgrade. And I agree, they should get rid of him. Actually, I'd like. And even Danny Green, maybe a couple of draft picks that could really bolster as such as offense and stuff like that. And if they do get Levine, I, I could see them going to the finals. Yeah, no, no, they definitely could, Bill. And I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot uh, yep. for, for the call. And yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about it from a regular season standpoint. I don't, I, I, in the NBA, I don't really care about the regular season. Like, you want to get in a position where you're in a good matchup for the first round, I'm more worried about the matchups as you set up throughout than I am the seeding. Like, I don't care if you're the number one seed. Um, if you have to, if you get the number one seed, but your first two matchups are going to be, you know, Miami and Brooklyn potentially, then I don't really want the number one seed. I'd rather be the two seed and go through, you know, uh, uh, you know, in Orlando and then a, a Boston or something like that. So I don't really care about that. I think you can kind of position yourself as the season goes on. I don't care about MB with the load management. The complaints about that are just are just dumb. People just need to understand uh, that it's not the 80s anymore and guys aren't going to play 45 minutes a night every night. And I'd rather Joel B be healthy for the playoffs. I'm just worried about uh, the postseason. And, you know, when you talk about a guy like Maxi, um, I understand that you like him. Like, that's why I think you got to look to potentially trade him. Like, if you're just offering to teams, we'll give you Danny Green, we'll give you Mike Scott, and we'll give you a first-round pick, you're not getting a good player for, for, for that kind of price. Like, if you want to get in the mix and you want to get in the conversation for a, a Zach Levine, a guy like that, you're going to have to trade Tyrese Maxey. Like, that's just going to have to happen. And it's going to cost you that. It's going to cost you a lot of picks. But I do it because the window is now. Like, Tyrese Maxey, I think he's going to be a very good player in this league. Do I think he's going to be a star? I think it's way too early to say that. Um, I like his potential. Uh, I, I, but it. I think the more this year goes on, the more we kind of can kind of recognize he's not really going to be a contributor in the postseason this year. I don't think he's ready for that. Um, and I don't think, you know, he really has a spot when you consider the minutes at point that Ben is going to take up and the minutes that Shake Milton is going to take up. Um, because he's not going to jump Shake Milton on depth chart this year. He's not a good enough shooter yet. He's not a good enough defender yet. And while he might be good for the future, the Sixers have got to be focused on now. It is all about right now. You know, I was all on board with the process. I was all on board with building this thing. And, you know, they've done that. But now you have a window in the next three years, 
this season and the next two seasons before Joel Embiid hits free agency. And you need to do everything you can to convince Joel Embiid that this is the place you need to be to win a championship. And hopefully you win a championship before it gets to that point. But you cannot squander a year because you're afraid to give up on a guy that could help you in three. You need to be all about this season. And you need to, if that costs you a guy like Maxi, that's what you're going to have to pay. And, you know, would it be unfortunate to not be able to keep that guy for the future? Sure. But the Sixers got to look at it in terms of now. And in terms of we need to do what we need to do to put the best roster together to beat the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks right now. And as currently constituted, I don't think they are good enough or deep enough uh, to do that. Uh, let's go to Gus in Allentown. What's up, Gus? I think you nailed it on the this constant yammering about Simmons and and be not playing together. But let, let me ask you this question about this uh, Levi Award. Now, uh, am I uh, am I nominated for anything on this? Uh, n- not yet, Gus. Maybe next year. Uh, next year we're going to have um, best caller. Best caller this year is uh, an honorary Levi Award, I believe. Uh-huh. But next year, I think you could be in the mix for. Uh, uh, okay, so in other words, I'm not I'm not up against uh, the weave or anything like that. I don't I, I don't I don't think so. I, I could see. I, I, well, what yeah, about I, what about uh, talk show hosts? Hosts are they? Is there are they nominated for anything? Like I don't think so. I don't think we're going down that. Call up at three in the morning, um, <laughs> or inscrutable callers like Steve, who uh, never really makes any sense when he calls. That's not nice, Gus. Well, you're well, taking I shots at give, Weaver. I taking Steve, I will give Steve this though. He's off referees. There was like five years there where all he talked about was referees. Really? Yeah. Now he's on to. Uh, coaches or I, there's, there's some topic that now he's relentlessly talking to um, callers I mean the host on a first time but you know first on a, on a very personal level too but anyway let's get on to uh, this Levine thing I think this is something you've just sort of cooked up out of your your usually fervent imagination because I just don't think it's going to happen the, 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 the Bulls the Bulls aren't just playing for this year. They're, they're trying to build a team, too. Why would they get rid of their best player? It makes no sense. Because, I mean, after next year, they're going to have to sign him long-term. And well, they I do don't, it. Right. I mean, they might. <laughs> but, Gus, I don't think – I don't – like. I don't think you can build a team around Levine as your best player and win a championship. Well, it's a composite. I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's a pipe dream to think that – It might be. I think what, what – I think that Maury is going to make – uh, the kind of addition that doesn't seem very sexy, that's going to be very, very uh, have great impact. Because what they have to do is they have to the guy they have to upgrade is Kermont. He's he's bad, really, and you can't. And he's playing too many minutes. So if you can get a PJ Tucker or if you can get a George Hill, as your uh, screener suggested to me, that will have a bigger impact than the name. I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but with this team, and by the way, they miss Shake Milton. I and mean, he's another, who's Shake Milton? Shake Milton, he's not any good. But he's 14 points that you're not getting right now. No, they do, but Gus, I mean, George Hill, he, I mean, teams add him every year, and he never, and he never reason. does anything. Like, no, no, he's a very, very 
useful piece on a good team. That's why he's always moved around. You know, these guys like Is Smith, people make fun of them because they're always being moved around. But actually, it's a credit to them because teams see them as very, very significant pieces to an overall puzzle. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about. Well, real quick, Gus, I did want to just ask you. So you don't think the Sixers need to upgrade Danny Green in the starting lineup? No. You're no, good no, with that? No, I think they need – I think Kurt Moss is the player they need to upgrade. I think that they're much better than people think they are, and I know people are absolutely infatuated with the Nets right now. But when it comes to, to the playoffs, it comes down to defense, and I think the two best defensive teams will be at, at the end. It will be the Lakers and the Sixers. But before I say that, mm-hmm. I have watched the Lakers without um, Anthony Davis, and let me tell you something. He might be the most valuable player on that team because they look terrible right now. And LeBron isn't doing anything to redeem that loss. They could be in trouble in four weeks. Yeah, I mean, they obviously, I mean, you lose Anthony uh, Davis and it's going to hurt I didn't think it was going to hurt you. Bad. They lost tonight. They really, they lost convincingly at home to Miami tonight. They lost by two. I mean, they, yeah, but I mean, they, they really, it was more than that. If you watch the game, I, I, I did not watch it. Like the whole game. And then the game before the Nets, which everybody, you know, that's one of the reasons why the Nets, people are in love with the Nets because they beat the Lakers. But if you watch that game, the Lakers were awful. They're not shooting well. Le- LeBron is not carrying them. I think, I think it's clear that Embiid's the most valuable player right now. I'd agree. It's clear. Gus. It's clear. You know, I agree. I appreciate it, Gus. Thank you uh, for the call. And yeah, I mean, Embiid is the MVP. And, he has taken that step, and it's been so – it's been gratifying as a fan to see it happen. Like, because we had we talked about when is Joel Embiid going to get in shape? When is he going to do the things that he needs to do from an off-court perspective to put himself in the mix? Like, there – you know, and LeBron didn't have a great game Saturday night, but – there's a reason why LeBron James is still playing at this level into his late 30s. It's because he is meticulous about how he takes care of his body. You look at the same reason why it's not a coincidence that Tom Brady is playing the way that he's playing because he does everything he needs to do to take care of his body. Joel Embiid wasn't doing that early in his career. And, you know, there was the whole story last year came out about Matisse Thibel and the ridiculous Chick-fil-A order that he had to get for Joel Embiid and all that stuff. Um, but Joel Embiid has taken it upon himself and decided, I want to be great. And there's a difference between talking about it and actually doing the work. And Joel Embiid has done the work. He has done everything he has needed to do off the floor um, on the floor to improve his game. And again, I'll bring it back to that comparison with Carson Wentz, where, you know, Carson Wentz still has a lot of the same issues that he had in 2016. Still inaccurate. Still holds the ball too long. Still has fumbling problems. He hasn't done the work that he's needed to to get to that next level while Joel Embiid has. And it's why one guy's still here and flourishing, and the other guy had to run away um, because you know he wasn't he wasn't willing to do what he needed to do. And unless he's willing to commit in Indianapolis, he's going to have a lot of the same issues there. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four two one five five nine two nine four nine four. How about that? Gus speaks the weave's name, and the weave appears. So we will talk to weave 
when we return. Um, there's I, I love the 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 battles with the callers on the overnight show. I do with you know Gus always will take shots. Uh, you know uh, Gus is always taking shots at Mike in South Philly and Weave and and uh, took a little shot at Steve tonight. Uh, I'm okay with some caller feuds though. I, I'm okay with it. Weave and Mike in South Philly have a bit of an issue now, um, which you know we'll, we'll we'll check in with Weave coming up next. But yeah, I, I'm a fan of of these feuds here. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Sports Radio ninety four WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. You just heard the return there, mentioning Philly spring training underway. We'll do a little Phillies spring training preview a little later on in the five o'clock hour. Um, but Phils get uh, their spring training underway. Uh, JT Romito, a broken thumb. He'll miss about a month but is expected back for opening day. Um, uh, waiting for, a, I guess, a, an update on Reese Hoskins and where he stands following surgery. But hopefully Phil's get him back relatively early and be in the mix for the postseason here. I, I mean, it's going to be an uphill climb, certainly. Um, they're, in a, they're in the best division in baseball. And I see them as the fourth best team. Um, but, you know, uh, the Phil's need to... Uh, obviously shore up the pitching staff. Hopefully they made some uh, improvements in the bullpen with Alvarado and Archie Bradley, um, but that starting rotation still a little thin, and, um, you know, the, the lineup should be good. So uh, you hope they can compete uh, with the season getting started in a few weeks here. 215-592-9494. Let's check in with the Weave. What's happening, Weave? Yo. Um, Yo. You know what? Hey, Tom, you always hit on the most important stuff. And uh, that last caller, man, I love to talk to him one-on-one. <laughs> well, we, we, I, we, we could set that up, but I got to say, you were a little underwhelming the last time when you had your, your little uh, nah. your opportunity with Mike. You know, you no, didn't come I was, strong. I wasn't, I wasn't underwhelming. I, I wanted to listen to everything he had to say. And, um, you know, he's got some good points, but um, I couldn't really say anything because the situation that the Eagles were in and the Sixers were in, you know, I, I didn't want to go say something, you know, that, you know, he could come back and say, yo, you know, he, well, he could get me on. Well, we've but, that's um, what de- that's what debate that that's that's what debating is like. If we're gonna, I would love to set you and Gus up for a debate, but you got to promise me that you're gonna you're gonna come come after him. Man, I would destroy them guys, but <laughs> I'm not gonna say I can't really say that because Gus, I love Gus, man. I mean, he's got some really good points. We all love Gus, but his his points are are, are a little slow. You know what I mean? Wow. Okay. He, he's he's a little slow. Wow. What what I'm what I'm what I wanna say is um and um you know, my son said this to me, he said, um, the Sixers really need a point guard. the type of point guard they need is like a Jimmy Butler point guard that can close games out. And um and I'm thinking, you know what? The point guards available that the Sixers could get is I love this kid, man. I always love this kid. Dante, um, what's his name? Dante. Dante Exum? Um, or Dante no. Dante DiVincenzo? 
Yeah. And I'm thinking if they had a, a, a point guard like him, then that would be the complete package where the Sixers would have everything. Because you you can't really depend on Ben Simmons, you know, to close games out. And that's his only problem. So, and, Gus, you would rather have – or uh, Gus, sorry. I'm sorry, Weave. I, you got, I got Gus on the line now. <laughs> that's okay. So you'd rather have Dante DiVincenzo than, than Ben Simmons at the end of games? Is that what you're saying I would, here? I would, I would like to bring in a guard like him. And I watch a lot of college games, right? And um, there's a – you know what? If the Eagles want to – if the Sixers want to wait till next year, um, I, I was watching this kid, uh, Jock. Jock uh, McLaughlin okay. from um, UC, I think he's from UCS. Um, UC, uh, from yeah, I, I, UCSB. He's from UCSB. Okay. And here's what I'm thinking. The talent right now, I think the talent is coming out of, um, is coming out of the, um, the West Coast. It's coming out of the, um, um, UCLA and the, the Pac-12. Um, it's coming out of the Pac-12. I think they got the top player, and um, and another top player uh, is from um, the center you got from um, uh, I don't know this big guy from uh, where is he from Indiana or somewhere? I, I don't know. We've I don't know. But um, anyway, I mean, if the Eagles are not, I mean, the Sixers are not going to look for a draft pick. You know, the the shore up like you were saying earlier, uh-huh. the shore up, you know, their um you know, the bench and everything. Uh-huh. And um they they need to look at getting somebody in there that can close games, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think they've been pretty good at closing games this year and I appreciate the call, Weave. Thanks for checking in, man. Okay. All right. Take it easy. Take it easy, Weave. Um uh, you know, I I don't know. I mean Dante DiVincenzo over Ben Simmons. I don't think that's an upgrade. I mean, DiVincenzo is averaging 9.8 points this year. I don't know. I, uh, we, we've coming after Gus a little bit there. Uh, I believe he called Gus slow. Um, man, I'm going to have to – maybe we'll have to set something up here with, with Weave and Gus. But, uh, Dan, I don't think you were in last time. But we, we set up – I mean, Mike, Mike and South Philly was on the line, and Weave was – Ripping him a little bit, and we put Mike on with Weave, and Weave kind of let us down. He kind of, he kind of, you know, uh, backed off. And and uh, it, I would love to set Weave up for another debate, but uh, you know, he, he's got to prove he can he can step up to the challenge. That would actually be a fun like overnight contest at some point. I'm not saying now, but like a bra- like a debate bracket. Yeah, it's a good will. idea. You, you have people vote. Like I'm trying to think who like the overnight one seeds would be. Like just based upon reoccurring callers. Like, you know, the Mike in South Philly bracket, the Weave bracket, the Steve in Tampa bracket. You know, every, everything kind of run. I'm trying to think who else it's, would be on there. It's a good idea. I mean, yeah. And, and, you, and you just, like, let them debate for two minutes, and you say, like, all right, who should the Sixers go after at the deadline? Whoever we think, not necessarily we agree with, but gives yeah. the better argument, moves on. Yeah, that's a good I think we have to consider that. I mean, I, I don't want to start something now before I, I, you know, take a few days off with the baby, but maybe when I come back, Maybe we can get something like that started. I, I, I'm feeling it. I, yeah. I'd be all in on organizing. That. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, 
you know, maybe maybe uh, me, you, and Angelina can get on a committee or something, and we can we can we'll make be this like thing the tour- we'll be like the NCAA tournament committee. We'll, yeah. we'll evaluate your resume wins and whether you make the field, and then you know we set it up. I like that idea, Dan. I like that idea. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's squeeze Dave in Chestnut Hill in here. What's up, Dave? Hi, Kel. It's been a long time. I hope you and your colleagues are surviving these icy days. Yeah, it hasn't been too bad, Dave. We're hanging in there, so that's good. It literally took me. I got a haircut yesterday. I went down the avenue. It literally took me and less than a third of a mile and helping older people across the street an hour and 20 minutes to go less than one-third of a mile walking home. Well, that's very that's very noble of you, Dave. Thank you on their behalf oh, for I'm doing that. Noble. I just... I didn't, I, I, you know what, I realized that I'm not very young anymore, <laughs> and I realized that could be me very near term. Yeah. And, you know what, my mother would come down from heaven and strike me with lightning, Tom, if I be, Right. an Irish Catholic kid. Yeah. I called for two reasons. Number one, to, to catch up. As you know, I work overseas, so it is now Monday for me. Oh, wow. Um, where, where are you at, Dave? Uh, well, I'm in Chestnut Hill. Where do I right. work? I work in Saudi Arabia. Oh, wow. Jeez. That is a long commute. Oh, well, yeah. I do <laughs> yeah. it by, uh, by, uh, right. by phone gotcha. and by Zoom. Gotcha. Anyway, that's not important where I work. The important thing is we need to take Howie Roseman to lunch. And while we're at lunch, pack his office and put it in cardboard boxes, put it in his trunk, and change the locks at the uh, Novacare Center. Yeah, you know? you're, you're down on Howie, huh, Dave? Down on Howie, let me tell you what. There were two options in my life, keeping Howie Roseman or putting a stick in my eye. Why don't you just give me the stick right now, Tom? (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, Dave, I know a lot of people feel the way you do, and and I get it. Um, But, you know, the one thing I will say in Howie's meager defense here is um, I also think you've got to look at the role the owner's playing and – you oh, know, me, and the fact that the Tom, fact that a lot of this is how he doing Jeffrey Lurie's bidding. I do believe that. Tom, let me interrupt you and share something in three sentences. Uh-huh. I was at the last Eagles game that Carter caught a touchdown pass as an Eagle. I went to graduate school with Tommy Kramer, the old Minnesota quarterback. Okay. And my son and I were on the sidelines the second half of the game, and Tommy did not fly back to the team. He stayed with me for a couple of days because we're old friends. And and I, I'm just reminded of the ups and downs because I was a season ticket holder for many years. And I'm just reminded that I had some involvement when Brayman owned the team when this fan advisory board. And do you know the first time that Jeffrey Lawyer was on the field at an Eagles practice? No. He didn't know what the long extended t- – tongue was on the football shoes and how to put it over your cleats. Oh, wow, that's well, that's one not of good. The funniest Dave. things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, yeah. You're doing a great job, Kel. Well, thanks. I, I think uh, I wish the Phillies the best. I think they'll do okay. Um, I don't think some of the surgeries are too bad. They just got to stay healthy. I, I think they they can be in the playoffs, Tom. Yeah, I, I hope so, Dave, and I appreciate the call. Thanks for checking in, uh, buddy. Good good talking to you. I, I, I hope so. I think um, it's an uphill climb. It is. And uh, maybe with the expanded playoffs, and I guess I guess that's still a possibility. I mean, last year they changed the rules in the middle of the first game of the season. Like, the Nationals and Yankees are in, like, the third inning. And they're, oh, yeah, there's going to be three extra playoff teams this year. So, 
maybe that can still happen. The players shot it back because the players and owners just can't agree on anything, and the players just wanted something more for a bargaining chip for the CBA next year. I, I don't know. I hope it gets done, but if it's just five teams, I mean, I, I don't think it happens, but uh, I, I hope I'm wrong. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. I see Tony, our draft expert, is on the line. We will talk to Tony when we get back. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, I get a tweet from Joe here saying, we versus Mike and South Philly got anybody else who could compete. And that's what we're going to figure out. I mean, Dan and I are just talking about it during the break. You know, we could get Angelina in on this and, you know, do this Saturdays through Mondays when I'm in. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, get, get some of the callers who are interested. It might not be a huge tournament, but it could be something to have some fun with. Uh, last year... We did our Seinfeld Curb Your Enthusiasm side character bracket. So we do we do got to come up with another bracket. Maybe this could be a, one of the brackets. I, I'm mad I missed that Seinfeld Curb bracket because oh, I'm a great. huge fan of both of those shows and I've seen every episode of each of them like a thousand times. It was it was it was fun. It was and I mean we had plenty of time to do it too because no there sports, were no sports yeah. going on. So who uh, ended up winning? Um, Frankistanza. It's the best. Frank Costanza beat Marty Funkhauser in the final matchup. and Those are two good ones. The final four, I believe, was Funkhauser, Richard Lewis, Frank Costanza, and I think Putty was the other Oh, the other Putty's one. another good one. I'm interested to see. So they've had one season of Curb since the actor who plays Marty passed away, and they haven't like officially killed him off yet. Like, What are they going to do? I don't know. And Mike gave me a, a sad piece of information uh, last week um, that – Richard Lewis will be recovering from his surgery. He will not be in this upcoming season either. Oh, no, that's no good so, either. Very disappointing. So, yeah, I don't know how they're going uh, to do that. Um, it's Larry forward. David. He'll figure out something. Yeah, yeah. Larry, Larry is, is just uh, outstanding. And last season was good. Well, the, best, the best part of last season was the episode where uh, John Hamm was mimicking Larry. Oh, it's great. Uh, that was just he was so spot on. And I don't I haven't really watched much with John Hamm in it. I never got into Mad Men. Um, I, uh, that that's maybe that's a show I'll watch someday. Uh, but uh, I was a John Hamm guy after that episode. He was, the, he was the cameos in that show are always great and not necessarily always comedic actors who you would assume would be good. Right. But almost just being around Larry, like he gets away with just creative control that he can come out with episodes whenever he wants. Apparently he calls anyone and they just agree to come on right. at any time. And they're always great. Like he knows, and the show's not even scripted. Like apparently they just have like a topic on the sheet and just go with it. Yeah. And it always turns out great. And I just love how like, like a guy like Ted Danson will just play like a, a, a jerky version of himself. Like yes. maybe that's the way he actually is, but he is very dislikable in that show. Oh, yeah, because the whole idea is that, you know, he's attracted right. to Ted Danson and Larry, da Larry David can't stand him. And right. It's, no, it, the, the whole show, the whole premise of the show is great. Richard Lewis does, by the way, a really good interview with Rich Eisen about how Larry David just is his own character off the air. <laughs> like, it's not even acting for him. Yeah. It's very, very funny. That's, uh, we'll have to check that out. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Tony, our draft expert. What's up, Tony? Hey, good morning. How you doing, sir? Good. How you doing, man? Everything is okay. Um, I was telling Mike, I was trying to Let's get Let's Dan behind there tonight. Dan's oh, I'm sorry. Person. I thought it was Mike Angelina. My fault. Okay. Yep. Um, I wanted to call to finish off the draft. I know we had sure. stopped in the sixth round, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, they, now, I don't know how he looked at the senior bowl because I didn't get a chance to see it, but they said um, 
the linebacker from LSU um, had had um, he, he put on some weight. I'm trying to think of his name. He was he's a linebacker slash safety. Jacoby Stevens. Okay. Jacoby Stevens put on some weight, and some people are saying he's not even going to get drafted. So if he's there at the sixth round, we only got one sixth round pick because they didn't give us the compensatory pick for Jordan Howard. I would grab him in a heartbeat. He was once a top ten pick. Yeah, I mean that that's a guy I, I you, you know that you're going to look at and and I'd have to get more uh, info on him but I remember seeing him play. He's not, not Oh yeah, a he's player. a mon- he's a monster. He was in that defense with all the other guys like, you know, all the guys that went to the NFL like Devin White. Right. Um I I'm still high on um And that um, Devin Clark. that Devin White, Tony. He is a well, tremendous Well, Devin linebacker. White plays for the Tampa and right. you can see how good the, their linebackers they put out. Now if he's there in the sixth round, I'm grabbing him. Now in the seventh round, there's a defensive tackle, number seven, um, number 97 out of Pittsburgh. His name is uh, Jalen Twyman. That kid is a monster. Okay. If he slips that far down, you got to grab him with that seventh round pick. Okay. All right. Check him, out. Check him out when I tell you that now. Also, the Eagles can get some more picks if they trade that defensive tackle that they paid all that money. Hargrove, they – that was a, the worst thing how we ever did. What you do is you try to trade him, get a couple fourth-round picks or whatever, just to get rid of that salary. Because we got a guy named Daquan Williams on the practice squad. You match him up with Twyman to back up um, uh, Fletcher Cox. You got something. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know if they trade Hargrave. That contract's certainly not looking great now. I don't know who would take that on, but I guess it's not impossible they could move it. Well, he can renegotiate it with right. the new team if they can get something for him, because right now, we don't have a fourth-round pick. Right. And so. a couple guys, I don't know how much time I got, a couple guys that I missed that I wasn't really looking at is Eric Stokes, cornerback out of Georgia. That guy can move. Okay. And plus, he's tall. Eric Stokes, they looking at Thomas Graham Jr. from Oregon. I'm really scared to deal with people from Oregon, um, but they also got a safety named Javon Holland. My three safeties on the board are Andre Cisco out of Syracuse. Um, you like him. Um, Paris Ford out of Pittsburgh, who's a friend of Miles Sanders. Okay. And also um, Javon Holland out of Oregon. Those are my three safeties. And, of course, in the sixth round, you can pick up Jacoby Stevens. That'll be four. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Tony. Thanks for okay. checking in. My man. pleasure. Yep. Okay. Take, take it easy, man. Have a good one. Tony, Tony's great with that draft stuff. And it'll be, and now, you know, it, it'll be draft talk for a while and it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see what the Eagles do. And it'll be interesting to see how they start to remake the roster. And I am excited. Honestly, I, as much as we talked about Carson Wentz, I'm excited to move on and move forward with this off season. And, you know, it, it's going to be an exciting off season even though this team is probably not going to compete in 2021. Like, I am not as down on them as as many are. Like, I don't think this is just automatically one of the five worst teams in football. They could be, but who knows? I mean, maybe Sirianni is, you know, maybe he can coach. I mean, Jeffrey Lurie has a good track record at hiring go- coaches. I mean, he's hired four of them. Uh, you know, Ray Rhodes, uh, you know, made the playoffs and then obviously struggled. And he was a home run. Uh, Chip had success early, fell apart, but he had success. And then Doug um, obviously had big time success early. So, you know, maybe Sirianni can coach. And if Sirianni can coach and Jalen Hurts can play, which I think Jalen Hurts might be able to, um, I I liked what I saw at the end of last year. This team might be 
better than we expect. Like, I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender or anything, but could this team compete for an NFC East Division championship um, with the, the Giants and Washington and, and Dallas? I don't think it's out of the realm of, of possibility. And it'll be interesting to see how they remake this roster uh, and shed um, some salary, uh, get rid of some of these older players, and uh, remake this roster. And I- I'm interested to see what, what how he does. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. As you just heard there, if you haven't um, – voted yet go to 94wip.com slash awards and vote for the levi's today's your last day to do so uh on monday the winners will begin to be unveiled i i don't know if they're all being announced on monday i don't think they are i think it's going to be a few each day probably three each day 15 categories that makes sense um so go uh vote for the levi's and starting tomorrow when i'm back on uh we will begin to predict next year's Levi's, um, the nominees and the, and the winners. Because now this, the way we're doing it this year is different than will be done uh, moving forward. Like this is the first year, so we're covering the last twenty years in Philadelphia sports. But in the future, uh, these awards will be given out yearly. So we will uh, start to predict some of the nominations. Um, Moving forward for next year, I would already say unless Bryce Harper or Reese Hoskins just has an insane season, Joel Embiid's already probably got a pretty strong grip of that best athlete award. Um, I I think that's uh, pretty much a lock, but all the rest of them uh, are going to be interesting. I mean, best coach, you know, maybe it'll be Doc Rivers. Maybe it'll be... Joe Girardi, maybe it'll be Nick Sirianni. Who knows? I mean, if Nick Sirianni can go 9-7 and seven and, and win the division with this team, you know, who, who knows what could happen. But uh, we'll start looking at that uh, on the show uh, tomorrow. 215-592-9494. Uh, let's go to Linda in Bala. Hey, Linda. Hello, darling. How's you it going? You know, I thought of you earlier. I called JJTK tonight. Okay. And he just... He didn't mind. He laughed. He <laughs> was a, a little vitriolic uh, earlier, and I said, "What was John upset like about?" Teach. Huh? What was John upset about tonight? Uh, I forget. I mean, I just uh, I was in the middle of something. We had another fire drill. We have so many oh. now. Um, but anyway, I said to him, "You sound like TK." <laughs> 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 he laughed. <laughs> That's uh, a long time ago, uh, when uh, Bob Ellis, when Rob Ellis first came on, he used to have debates, um, and they and he had some good callers then. Oh, Rob had caller debates. Uh, yeah, but okay. uh, they were on sports, uh, and I have to say. Um, uh, Mary from Mayfair, whom I love very much. You know, I love callers. Oh yeah, Mary was Mary's great, great. Uh, I don't put none of them down, and I won't debate none of them because I'm still missing uh, a lot of them that aren't here. And I loved Levi. Oh, you know, I don't always agree, honey, with with them, but I they all have their 
their own personalities. And if they didn't call, I would miss the hell out of them. Oh, absolutely. But I want, yeah. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I still miss Jeff from Springfield. And Donato hasn't called for months. I heard so. from Donato a couple weeks ago. Uh, wow. yeah, you must have missed that one, but I got, yeah, he, he checked in with me a couple weeks ago. One time. Oh, thank God. Yeah, he's good. I, I've been calling him uh, out, not, not bad because I miss him. Right. You know, he used to call right when Mikey from South Philly called. Right. You know, but, um, when you said about the Eagles, honey, I have to agree with you. I, I it's time for us to move on. If they don't have Eagles on their jersey, I don't care who they are. I don't look at the back. Right. And once they leave, I don't care what they do. You understand me? Uh, I think it's going to be fun to watch the Eagles resurrect themselves and rebuild. And you're right. It is It is going to be something to look forward to. I always try to be positive, honey. You know. Yeah. Uh, especially – um. I'm going to be spending half the day at Fox Chase again Monday. And I always go in there with a, a positive view. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I drive myself nuts. Uh, and uh, somebody was asking about Adubal Herrera. Uh, and that's one of the things that J.J. was talking about. As far as I know, TK, uh-huh. uh, Herrera, they have to bring him back because of the union rules. Um, they can't just uh, cut a guy for domestic stuff. And that's why they had to invite him back. I don't know that he'd be here if they didn't have to. Yeah, money. I know it was like that the last few years, Linda. I'm not sure if it still is. I mean, it might be, but I, I you know, I think if you're the Phillies, I think, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're not going to play him, you should release him. I know that was a union issue before, but like if the Phillies, you know, maybe like they could make an argument that they, they just can't use them. You know, I don't know. Yeah, uh, well, they had a baseball writer on, and I don't know who he is. He's not one of the ones you usually call, and right. that's what he said. And he also said the lady, um, he married her, or she married him, and there was no she dropped the charges. So. Right. That's why they had they invited them back because of the union. Right. I'm excited well, to watch them, honey. I am too, so, Linda. I am and, too. Uh, anyway, I love listening. To, I would miss you so much, TK. Well, so just keep coming back. I will, uh, Linda. And God bless you, honey. All right. See thanks, ya. Linda. Appreciate it. Always great talking to Linda. And yeah, the Oduble situation, man. I mean, we'll talk about it more tomorrow. I feel like if if you're either going to use the guy or not, and if you're not, release him. And now I don't know. I got to get more into information on, you know, whether the Phillies can. I knew they couldn't the last couple of years, but now, I mean, the guy hasn't been in the majors for like two years now, and I think the Phillies could just make an argument that they like Hazley and Roman Quinn better. And you know, it wouldn't be the first guy time a guy's been outright released. So um, maybe they could do that. And hey, if they think. You know, I I don't agree with what Odubel Herrera did, obviously. I would rather him not be here anymore. But if he's going to be in the organization and, you know, you're going to have him in AAA anyway, then I think he should be allowed to to compete for a job. So uh, we'll get more into that uh, tomorrow as well. When we get back, though, I did want to talk 
a little bit about uh, another eagle who moved on this week because it wasn't only Carson Wentz. Uh, somebody else also uh, had their tenure in Philadelphia come to an end. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. In the next segment, we'll let you hear Ray Didinger, who joined Angelo and the morning team on Friday to break down the Carson Wentz trade. I always want to hear Ray's perspective on things. Uh, so we will let you hear Ray in the next segment. But real quick, um, you know, Carson Wentz wasn't the only notable Eagle to depart this week. As the Eagles also bid adieu to Deshaun Jackson. Um and it is so disappointing how this reunion uh, turned out because, you know, I think back to, to prior to that 2019 season and the excitement, I mean, amongst oh, many Eagles fans when Deshaun was re-signed because, you know, you remember 2018 and the big problem with the Eagles offense that year, as most people saw it, was their lack of explosion and them needing to dink and dunk their way down the field. And the fact that they didn't have that game-breaking receiver. You know, they had signed Mike Wallace in 2018. He got hurt really early, uh, and they never really had anybody else. You know, and, you know, Nelson Aguilar maybe gave them a ton of that at the end of that year. He caught a deep touchdown against Houston, but they go out, get Golden Tate. He wasn't that kind of receiver, and they never really had that threat. And, Going into 2019, the Eagles were looking for that game-breaking guy, and they and they draft Deshaun. And um, I think we're excited to the possibilities because you remember what Deshaun was his first time here, and, and it's always exciting when an organization brings back a player who was beloved and, you know, important. Like Deshaun Jackson from 08 to 2013 was a great Eagle. Like, 08. He had one of the better rookie years I've I've seen a receiver have. I mean, probably the best rookie year I've ever seen out of an Eagles receiver. I mean, that's not saying much considering the receiver drafting over the years. But, I mean, Deshaun in 08, Jeremy Macklin in 09. I mean, really, that's it. But Deshaun was tremendous that year. And I'll never forget, you know, the moment he caught that touchdown in the 08 championship game against the Arizona Cardinals. And... I thought the Eagles were going to the Super Bowl. I mean, and that that's the game that I've I brought this up many times. It, it's the game that always bothers me. I have it third on my rankings of most painful losses in Philadelphia sports history. Um, number one is Eagles-Tampa 2 obviously. Anybody that was old enough to remember that, um, which <laughs> that makes me feel old. That there are people young enough in the audience that don't really remember that game. Um, but that is just, that was devastating. It was absolutely devastating. Uh, that's number one. Number two is Phillies Cardinals game five, 2011. Uh, just losing that game on a, a night where Roy Halladay literally gave you everything that he had. And number three to me, more than the Super Bowl, more than the Carolina loss, it was that 08 game against Arizona where, you know, the Eagles are down 24 to six at the half. In a game that I, I've never been more confident going into a game the Eagles win. The Eagles smashed that team on Thanksgiving night. Uh, what, five weeks earlier? Uh, well, I guess it was like two months earlier. But they stormed back in the second half. 
It's the game that I think Donovan takes way too much heat for. Where, uh, yeah, he made a couple bad. Th- he made a bad throw late or something. I or you know he missed Hank Basket on like a pass in the first half. The end of the game. I mean, Kevin Curtis fell down. I don't know what he should have done about that. But Donovan brought them back. And if the defense gets a stop on a Tim Hightower fourth and two, Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. I mean, he he brought them back from twenty four to six, put them up twenty five twenty four, and when he hit Deshaun on that deep ball. Uh, to make it 25-24, um, like the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. The Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, Deshaun was such an important part of this franchise. Obviously, the 2010 uh, final play uh, return against the Giants, which is up for best moment in the 94 WIP awards. Uh, just remarkable, uh, the things Deshaun did. And I think we were so excited about Deshaun coming back and what he could provide. And, it hurts even more when you look back and, and just think how much has changed since the 2019 opener. When the Eagles took on Washington that then, you know, had a different name at that point. And Carson Wentz hits Deshaun, Deshaun, Watson, Deshaun Jackson for two deep touchdown passes. And it's like, okay, here it is. Deshaun's giving the Eagles what they need. This is going to be 2017 all over again. Uh, this offense is going to be fixed. And then he gets hurt the next week in Atlanta early in that game where it was ridiculous. Like, the Eagles, in a matter of, like, 10 snaps, they lost to Sean Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, Dallas Goddard. Uh, it, it was insane. Wentz went out to get checked for a concussion in that game. Um, but, you know, they lost so many players in a few series, and it kind of foretold what was going to happen the remainder of the year as far as not being able to stay healthy. But, you know, you you think about that, and you think about how different everything may have been had Deshaun Jackson stayed healthy. And we probably should have known when you look at the fact that he struggled with injuries the prior couple years um, down in Tampa. But... You know, he goes out of that Atlanta game and never really gets right. Comes back later in the year against Chicago, plays a few snaps, goes out, doesn't play again, then gets the surgery. Um, 2020, uh, you know, plays here and there to start the year, was on snap count. Like, you knew game one when Deshaun was already on a snap count, you knew he wasn't right. Like, you just knew. Like, there was no reason for him to be on a snap count week one when there was no preseason And, you know, if he was healthy, there's no reason why that would have been the case. And you could just never get healthy here this time around. It it never worked out this time around. It wasn't a good fit. Um, And it's disappointing. It's disappointing to see the Deshaun Jackson tenure in Philadelphia end this way. Um, Because I think we were all excited when he was brought back for this reunion. And unfortunately... Uh, just never really worked out. Deshaun Jackson released by the Eagles on uh, Friday. It's the right move. You know, Alshon Jeffrey will follow soon. Malik Jackson, as the Eagles look to rebuild. But um, Deshaun Jackson cut this week as well. A disappointing end to his career as an Eagle. Um, Apparently he wants to go somewhere where he can be on a contender. I would not be surprised if he tried to join up with his buddy Shady somewhere. Uh, Those two guys are very close. Um, and, you know, maybe they can team back up next season. 
in Tampa, potentially where Deshaun has a history and Shady was this year or somewhere else. But uh, Deshaun Jackson officially done as an Eagle, and this time I, I do not expect uh, to be to see him back for a third tour of duty down the road. So I wanted to mention that as well. Uh, next segment, we'll let you hear Ray Dinger on with Angelo and the morning team for Friday dissecting the Carson Wentz trade. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for about another hour and change here. Uh, throughout the rest of the show, uh, we'll do a little Phillies preview a little later on. Uh, we, I also do want to let you hear from some of the football experts. You know, you've heard my take on the whole Carson Wentz situation, but uh, some of the uh, experts both locally and nationally joined uh, some of the shows this week uh, during the daytime hour. So I want to hear, we'll want to let you hear some of their takes. And, you know, as far as the Philadelphia Eagles, knowledge of the Philadelphia Eagles, opinions of what's going on with this organization, I mean, I, I don't think this is a controversial take. I think this is just a uh, known fact in this city that nobody, nobody has more of a respected opinion when it comes to this organization than uh, Ray Dinger. And uh, Ray joined Angelo and the gang on Friday morning, day after the Carson Wentz trade. To break it down, here was Ray Dinger uh, with his take on Friday. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nobody more revered in this town analyzing football than NBC Sports Philadelphia and Pro Football Hall of Fame's Ray Dinger. Hi, Ray. Morning, Ange. Ray, I, I, I got people rooting for this guy. Let's start with your take on what the Eagles got for Carson Wentz. Um. I actually thought that considering the circumstances that they were in and considering the, that they had absolutely zero leverage, um, I think they got, I think the return that they got was about what I would have expected. And, and maybe if I, if I had to go to either side of the needle, I might say better than I would have expected. The fact that, you know, the number three on his face for this year doesn't look like much. Uh, I actually thought that that was a possibility all along. But then next year, if you're talking about a two that could become a one, with, with, to me, a very makeable conditional term, 70% of the snaps isn't that much. Um, I actually think that uh, I actually think the Eagles came out of this okay. I actually think that this is a deal that kind of works for everybody. Certainly, it works, it, it works absolutely the best for Carson Wentz. I mean, he's stepping into a really good situation at Indianapolis, a really good team with a coach that he likes, a good offensive line, a good running game, stud running back. Jonathan Taylor is a good player. Uh, top defense, and... Uh, all they need is a quarterback. So, I mean, he steps into a tailor-made situation on a team that's ready to win right now. Um, you know, the Colts get their quarterback, so they're happy with it. And, uh, you know, and the Eagles were put in a really, really difficult, almost impossible situation and came away with maybe a first-round draft pick. So right. I think this is one you could kind of look at it from all sides and say I think they probably did about as good as they could do. I will put aside the fact that the man making that first-round draft pick would be Howie Roseman, and I am going to look at it in a deeper pattern, and I think it is an atrocity. In fact, Marcus Chase is calling it the single worst trade in the history of the NFL. And here's why. Because five years ago, you gave up three ones, two twos, two players to move up to get them. Then you paid them. You have paid him automatically $26 million on a contract he never played for you on. See, Ray, you can't just analyze the end of the trade. you got to look at the whole package of how it developed and in that regard isn't it an atrocity well the the, the situation you found yourself in was an atrocity but I'm, I'm just talking about what you 
you know, what you were left to make of it. You know, in, in the well, end, you, you created had to make it. You What's created that? the disaster. Oh, oh no, no that question. Then you had, no. Well, I want to evaluate the entire performance of the Eagles over the five-year tenure of Carson Wentz. Didn't they ruin the kid and get virtually nothing for him? Well, I, I mean, that's that's two different questions. It's you know, you asked me the question of what did you, how did I evaluate the trade, just based on what they had to deal with and the position they found themselves in. What I said was I thought they did probably about as good as they could do. Now, if you want to look back over the whole five years, that's a whole different discussion. Yeah, I mean, when you if if you look back over the, the history of the franchise, um, and and you look at the whole arc of what Carson Wentz's career was here, yeah, I mean it's uh, I mean it's <laughs> it's really bad. I mean, when you traded five picks to move up to get him, uh, you gave him the largest contract in the history of pro football at that point. Um, he never wins a playoff game for you in five years, uh, and then you get to the end where you, tra- you know, you have no leverage to trade him, and you wind up trading him for ten cents on the dollar, uh, and you're still stuck holding thirty four, thirty four million dollars in dead money. Yeah, there's not too much you can look at and say, well, that was good. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I mean, it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was an, it was a, it was an epic fail on many levels, and I think that's how people, that's how people are going to remember it. I had somebody yesterday ask me. Um, you know, years from now, down the road, when people always kind of look back with the benefit of time and some perspective and everything, um, how do you think people are going to view Carson Wentz here? Uh, how you know the the Carson Wentz era? And I said they're going to look back on it as a massive failure. And uh, you know, and because the only thing you're going to remember from those five seasons is you're going to remember the Super Bowl. But when you remember the Super Bowl, Carson Wentz wasn't a part of it. He helped get you there, but people are going to remember that game. And that game was all about Nick Foles. Yep, 100%. Ray, here's the real question, and Mike Sealski did a phenomenal call on this, but I want you to tackle it. What ruined Wentz here? What ruined him? What ruined Wentz? Yep. I mean, he was a great quarterback three years ago. What ruined him? Uh, well, I think the uh, – there are many many answers to that question, but I think that the you know the the roster the roster deteriorated around him. Uh, the team didn't support him with other players. We've talked endlessly about how poorly this team is drafted now for six or seven years. That's true. I mean, he's the only Pro Bowl player you've drafted in what the last seven years, and he's now gone. Um, I mean, it's it's almost hard to draft as badly as the Eagles have drafted over a period of time, and not just once, not just twice, but every year. Um, but you know, I, I think that when I look at when I when I look at what happened, what Wentz was when he first came here, to what it became at the end, uh, which was completely untenable. Um, I, I I always I guess I was one of those people that always kind of dismissed the idea that 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 him having to stand there on the sidelines and watch Nick Foles win a Super Bowl, that 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 that, that hung over him like a huge cloud. And, and affected everything that followed, um, and I always and I, I always took the view that no, I I don't think that that's the case. You know, I mean, he was happy for he was happy for the team, he was happy for the city, you know, and I think he was ready to come back the following year and take the reins and take the team back again because that's what he wanted to do. Um, I looking at it now and looking at the way his career unfolded from that point forward to the point this year where it completely bottomed out. Um, I don't think he ever felt in his mind that he escaped the shadow of Nick Foles, that he ever escaped the shadow of Super Bowl 52. And I kind of understand it. I mean, to be put in that position, is it's, it's an awful place to be. 
to try and tell everybody you're happy, but deep down inside you're so wishing it was you out there on the field doing it. Uh, and the way he knew Nick Foles was a hero in this town and would always be a hero in this town, and ultimately Nick Foles had to leave, and he was the one that stayed, I think there was a part of him that just never made his peace with that. And, look, this year the things that happened with him on the field were not necessarily tied to that. But I think that was part of that was part of his undoing. And then what really accelerated it and what really put it into overdrive was draft night when they went and got Jalen Hurts in the second round. I think you know I think where we are today was really set in motion with the drafting of Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I I think a lot of people believe that. But Ray, um, you just demonstrated earlier in this conversation how bad the draft picks have been. We talked about how much money they wasted giving this to Wentz. How? Has Howie Roseman survived three of the worst years of management of the Eagles in the team's history? How is he still here? Well, um, I think there's probably two answers to that. Number number one is the most obvious one is that he has um, he has a real personal relationship with uh, with Jeff. I mean, he and Jeff. I mean, I mean, Jeff really really likes him on a on a personal level, um, and I think that's a big part of it. Um, but the other part of it is I think that Jeff is looking at – when he looks at the team, uh, I think he's – look, he's not blind to where they are right now. I mean, he, the, the fact that Doug Peterson is no longer the coach here tells you he's not blind to where they are right now. I mean, he realizes that this team has fallen far, uh, and he realizes they have not drafted well in the last few years. Um, I mean, he sat through it and watched it. Um, but I, I think that Jeff's probably taking, at least in his own mind, taking the longer view of this which is, you know, look, I've owned this team for a long time, you know, more than 20 years, and I'm the winningest coach in the history of the uh, – I'm the winningest owner in the history of the franchise. Uh, and if you look at the last two decades, you know, we're one of the top half-dozen teams in the league in terms of playoff appearances, in terms of wins. Uh, we've done well overall in that period of time. And when you think about it, you know, you know, we've had players come and go, we've had coaches come and go, we've had front office people come and go. But the one guy, and it's one guy that has been with him the whole time, is Howie. So I think when Jeff looks at the team, I mean, he looks at it as a team that's accomplished a lot. And the one guy that's been sort of his first lieutenant through all of that is Howie. And I think Jeff admits and acknowledges that things have not gone well the last few years. But I think his feeling is, look, I really like this guy. I look at our overall record. I look at the fact that in 2017 when we won the Super Bowl, he was voted NFL Executive of the Year. So I think he's saying, on balance, I think that Howie's done well. Does he have to do better? Yeah. But I think to this point, you know, he's part of the reason why we've had a successful run here for 20 years, and I'm going to stay with him. I know that doesn't wash with the fans, uh, but I think that's how he's viewing it inside. That's the only possible way to explain why he's still here. Well, there's one other possibility, and that's what I want to run by you. Um, I'm starting to feel that Jeff Lurie's a lot more involved than we thought he was, and that maybe some of these terrible decisions – were either signed off by Jeff Lurie or actually the brainchild of Jeff Lurie. Is it possible that Lurie is keeping Howie because Lurie was behind a lot of the bad moves that they made? Well, I think I, I don't think anything uh, anything of, of real consequence happens in that building that Jeff doesn't that Jeff doesn't weigh in on, and I think he has to sign off on everything. And, and certainly anything as big as decisions involving the starting quarterback and the head coach. I mean, Jeff is intimately involved, um, so. Uh, if he's blaming himself, uh, you know, I think there was some of that in his press conference after the firing of Doug Peterson, where he acknowledged, you know, yeah, I could have done a better job here too. Um, 
but I think it's just I think it just goes down to the basic fundamental relationship between the two guys. I mean, I think he I think he looks at Howie's performance over time and says, you know, he's made more good decisions than bad ones. And I know nobody's going to agree with that right now. And if you look at where they are right now and, and how the whole Wentz thing unraveled, I mean, I can't remember a situation quite like this in in all my years around football where a guy went from where Wentz was in 2017 to where he is now, uh, that a guy of that age with that talent level fell that far in that period of time. I mean, that's it's. I mean, it's partly on him for sure, but I mean, it's also it also speaks to a, a larger failure of the organization in terms of building a team around him, and the coaches in their inability to get him back to the player that he once was. I mean, everybody everybody kind of wants to say, okay, where did this all go wrong? Who's to blame for the whole Carson Wentz saga here? And when you have a meltdown of this magnitude, it's never just about one person or one office. A whole organization contributed to what happened here. I mean, it, it takes you know, it takes a village, but this time they burnt the village to the ground, and everybody was part of it. Yeah, um, I think it's time for another Eagles Encyclopedia update. Just on this, I think, I think <laughs> we need. We may need a new edition pretty soon, yeah. Ray. I'm just you know, saying. You know, Anson, yep. you know, the, the the talk now is about that they're going to use the number six overall pick to take another quarterback. That's correct. Oh, In fact, boy. Billy Billy King is here. He has the pick for us. Billy, who do you want? Trey Lance. He likes oh, the, no, no, that. That would be that would be the ultimate. To, to, North Dakota to State. Another quarterback from North Dakota State. I think that would be awesome. Let's try that. And see how that goes. You know. You know. The one one thing I will leave you with is uh, I was looking back on this last night. I did a little did a little history lesson um, because everybody thinks it's easy to pick a quarterback. And, you know, Billy, Billy was in the personnel evaluation business. There's nothing easy about picking personnel. There's nothing easy. Even the sure shots aren't sure shots. And if you just look in this past offseason, in this past couple weeks, you've had Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, and Carson Wentz all traded quarterbacks. And they were all either the first or second overall pick in the draft. Sure things. Absolutely sure things. And they, and they all, you know, they all failed and couldn't win a couldn't win a couldn't win a Super Bowl with their current team. I look back, if you start with Matthew Stafford in the year 2009, and you go through Jared, Go- Jared, Jared Goff and uh, Carson Wentz in 2016, that's a, peer, that's a stretch of seven years. You look at the first rounds of the drafts in those seven years, there were 22 quarterbacks selected in the first round between Matthew Stafford and the class of Goff and Wentz. 22 quarterbacks selected in that time. First round. Yep. Now, blue chips. Yes. Do you know how many of those 22 quarterbacks are still playing for their current team? How many? Zero. Wow! No way! None? None. Wow! I mean, you go through Jameis Winston and Marcus oh. Mariota, Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater, mm. Andrew right. Luck, Cam Newton, all of them. You had 22 quarterbacks, first-rounders, ostensibly blue-chip quarterbacks, were taken in a seven-year period, and there's not today there's not a single one playing for his original team. Uh, now I have to get Howie to use that sixth pick on another quarterback. No. That's, sure that's why, everybody, every, that's why yep. everybody who wants you to rush out yep. and buy that and, 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 and pick up that next yep. blue-chip quarterback, Mm-mm. look at the numbers and see how hard that is to do. Ray Didiger, we are constantly in awe of you, my friend. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate All it. All right. Take care, Ange. Bye-bye. Right, uh, and there was Ray Dinger. His um, 
interview with Angelo Cataldi and the morning team on Friday and some of the things Ray got into there. And, you know, you hear at the beginning of the interview, Ray talking about the return. And as you've heard me discuss, um, I agree with Ray there. You know, the situation the Eagles got themselves in was a a catastrophe. You know, that was a a disaster. Um, But, you know, I don't take that into account when viewing, you know, how the Eagles did in this trade. And I was kind of arguing this with Al on Friday morning during our overlap show. When, you know, of course, when you factor in what took the Eagles to go get Carson Wentz, and you stack that up against what the Eagles got for Carson Wentz, of course, it's a net negative. There's no doubt about that. But that's not really how I'm viewing this. Like, I view those things as independent of themselves. And... I am viewing this trade in terms of what did the Eagles get for Carson Wentz in this situation in isolation here. You know, I'm not stacking it up against what they gave up for him five years ago. And uh, the bottom line is, as Ray said, you know, uh, the Eagles got good value considering where they were. That doesn't excuse how they got here. It doesn't excuse... The fact that they did give up a ton to get Carson Wentz and this relationship went sour. And as we've discussed many times, everybody can be held accountable for that. Everybody can take a certain level and deserves a certain level of blame for that. But when you look at the this trade in isolation, the fact is the Eagles did very well for themselves. They did. When you consider... There was very little market. It was basically the Colts and only the Colts. To get a, a, a one and a three, essentially, which if Carson Wentz stays relatively healthy, that's what this thing's going to end up being. Um, it, it, it was a good deal. So the Eagles did get good return there. And, and I agree with Ray on that. Again, doesn't excuse how we got to this point. But now that we're, we are at this point, you know, you got to make the best of it. And I think in the end, Howie Roseman did make the best of what was clearly a bad situation. And something else that Ray said in there that we really need to look at in terms of how we got to this point. And, you know, as Ray said, this is something that I kind of dismissed for a while as well. But Ray talked about, you know, the Nick Foles dynamic of all this. And here was uh, that cut of uh, Ray talking about the Nick Foles factor and how Carson Wentz truly never escaped it. I don't think he ever felt in his mind that he escaped the shadow of Nick Foles, that he ever escaped the shadow of Super Bowl 52. And I kind of understand it. I mean, to be put in that position, it's an awful place to be, uh, to try and tell everybody you're happy, but deep down inside you're so wishing it was you out there on the field doing it. Uh, and the way he knew Nick Foles was a hero in this town and would always be a hero in this town, and ultimately Nick Foles had to leave and he was the one that stayed, I think there was a part of him that just never made his peace with that. And trust me, I know people are tired of talking about the Wentz versus Foles stuff. Um, but that is a factor in all this, and it can't be discounted just from a human standpoint, from a human element. And I've been very critical of Carson Wentz. That's obvious to anybody who's listened to me regularly. But I do in that way understand how this kind of thing can can happen and, and occur. Because it had to be difficult for 
Carson Wentz to, to see what Nick Foles did in 2017. I've talked about it many times. I think 2018 was really, uh, you know, the backbreaking moment for Carson Wentz. No, no pun intended, uh, con- considering he actually did break his back that year. But that was the year to see Nick Foles do it again. You know, as harmless as it was on its face, and as harmless as Chris Long meant it. You know, the Nick Foles shrine and all this stuff. I think that did play a role. I think it did play a factor when you when, when Carson Wentz is looking from the outside and seeing just how his teammates responded to another quarterback. Because that position, it's different than other positions. It is. It is not the type of thing where, you know, it's just next man up. That guy, regardless of his age, regardless of his skill level, his history, that guy, when he takes the field, is considered a leader. That is the leader of the offense at all times, regardless who it is. And for Carson Wentz to see the guy behind him come in and inspire something in his team that that he was unable to inspire after 2017 had to be so difficult for him. And I don't think it's anything he truly ever got over. I don't think it's something he ever truly recovered from. And when we look at where it all went wrong with Carson Wentz, you can look at several different areas. You can look at the Jalen Hurts pick. You can look at... Howie Roseman missing on DK Metcalf or, you know, drafting Arthago Whiteside over Metcalf and drafting Rager over Jefferson. You can look at a number of different aspects in all this. But the Nick Foles situation plays a role in it. And the Nick Foles situation, I think, messed with Carson Wentz's head. And he never truly did escape that shadow. And and in the end, um, it's a sad and you know, not to go overboard here, but in football terms, a bit of a tragic tale uh, considering how this thing ends ended after how promising it was at the start in 2016 and 2017. Uh, I'm Tom Kelly. When we get back, we'll do a little uh, spring, uh, spring training talk. I got to dive in the Phillies a little bit. Obviously, a lot of Wentz and Sixers, but we will dive in to the Phillies a little bit when we return. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIB. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. In for myself. I always do that. I'm so used to saying in for Big Daddy Graham. Um, but on Saturday and a Sunday, I'm not in for Big Daddy Graham. I'm 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 just in. So uh in for another hour here. Uh, we'll let you hear Mike Lombardi a little later on. We'll let you hear Ruben Frank, the midday guys, uh, a little later on as uh, they give their perspective on the Carson Wentz situation, which is really, it's fascinating. It, it is. It's You can't explore enough aspects of this. Um, it's it's crazy that we've gotten here. And I know we all keep saying that, but it, it really is. Nobody expected this. Nobody thought this was a foreseeable Situation. I mean, if you had told me, I keep saying, if you told me five, six months ago, we're in training camp, um, that this is going to be the outcome, Doug gone, Carson gone, I would have said there's no way. I would have bet a lot of money that that wouldn't be the case. And I would be pretty poor right now um, because, uh, obviously, um, everything that we didn't think would happen has happened. So we'll get to that in more depth a little later on. But... I did want to turn it to the Phillies for a second here. Spring training is getting underway, and we will check in with the Phillies um, as they get ready over the next six weeks. But I wanted to do a little spring training 
preview as we get started here um, with this season on the horizon. And, you know, first off, you look at this team's offseason, and and, um, I said it before, I will give John Middleton credit. I've been critical of John Middleton. Um, I I did not like the things that he had to say uh, right after the season. I mean, it, it sounded like he was setting up. Uh, to pretty much not do anything where he's talking about the pandemic and, you know, how it's impossible for the Phillies to really do anything because of the restrictions upon them and they don't know how many fans are going to be in the stands so they don't know how much money they're going to have to spend. And I thought he was really setting this thing up for, uh, you know, doing nothing. But um, he he went out and he put his money where his mouth is and, and he was able uh, to do some – Good things this offseason. And, you know, bring back JT Romuto was huge. I uh, said I, I was not, you know, dead set on that. Um, if it was a contract that was going to really hamper you long term, but it wasn't. And and in that regard, you got to give Matt Klintak credit, who took a lot of heat here, rightfully so. And, and Matt Klintak, no longer the GM, still in the organization. But, um he read this market right, and he didn't jump out in front of it. We were all yelling, sign JT, sign JT. He said, no, well, we're going to wait, and, and you know, the market's not really going to develop, and, and JT's going to come back to us. And, and that, in the end, proved to be exactly what happened. And um, Klentak does deserve a, a level of credit for that, as the Phillies get him on a five-year, $115 million deal. Um very affordable. They bring back D.D. Gregorius on a two-year deal. I really like what I what, what the Phillies got from D.D. last year. Um, you know, he he's a, a good defensive player, um, was very productive offensively, and in the middle of that order, uh, I really like what he gives you two years, about $28 million, uh, another affordable deal. So, uh, real quick, I kind of want to just, like, preview the roster, go up and down, and, and – and look at things as we get ready for spring training here um, with the season starting in about six weeks. And, you know, you look at the rotation right now, and this is where um, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all shakes out. Because you got Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, Zach Eflin. Those are your three guys who are locks to be in the rotation. Um, Wheeler had a great year uh, in his first year as a Philly. I did not expect him to pitch that well. Um, I, I don't know. I never... Like, I knew Zach Wheeler was a good pitcher, but I never knew he was that good. Like, and maybe it's because I, I didn't watch him a ton. You know, I, I I don't know if anybody else is like this, but with baseball, I find it very hard in the regular season. Postseason, I can watch any game, but in the regular season, I find it very, very hard to watch any game that's not the Phillies. So, I'd watch Zach Wheeler pitch when the Phils would take on the Mets, and, you know, he was okay, but he was never overly impressive to me. Um... Uh, but he was really good last year and certainly lived up to that contract. And he pitches the way he pitched last year. I mean, five years, $118 million for him is going to end up being a bargain. So um, Zach Wheeler, I think, while Aaron Nola is the de facto ace, I'd expect Aaron Nola to make the start on opening day. I think Zach Wheeler is the best starter in this rotation. And um, I'm excited what we, see, what we see from year two with Zach Wheeler. Now, as far as Aaron Nola goes... Um, I am in the minority here. I think he needs to be better. I really do. I mean, when you look at Aaron Nola, very, he's a good pitcher. He's a very solid starter. 
a solid number number two, I would say. Like, but he's a number two who at this point, I actually think is closer to a number three than he is to a number one. I I really do. And you know, when you look at the numbers here, last year, I mean, five and five, three point two eight ERA. Uh, you know, it's it's good. I mean, the ERA is not bad. Um, but you know, five and five record, you can't totally hold pitchers accountable for for a record. But uh, you know, it's got to be better from a guy who's your ace. I mean, for his career, three point four seven ERA. You know, it's it's good. It's not great, and um. You know, I would. I think we really got to dial back the Aaron Nola's an ace talk um, because right now he's not. And for pitchers, so much of how you're judged is how do you pitch in big games. And Aaron Nola has, at this point in his career, failed that test. Like, he hasn't pitched in a ton of big games. But, you know, he has the la- at the end of the last couple seasons and certainly at the end of last season. He had a couple opportunities to come out when the Phillies needed him badly and, you know, and throw out gems when they needed him, and he was unable to do it. You look at his final two starts of last season. At Washington, uh, I believe it was a doubleheader, but six innings, five runs. And I know there was bad defense in that game, um, but still, that that's not good enough. Five runs, uh, three of them earned. Phillies lose that game. Um, final game of the season at Tampa Bay. Uh, it kind of got lost under the radar because this game was going on the same time as the Eagles and Cincinnati game, where a lot of us are dialed in on that. But you know, I was flipping back and forth, and, and you know. If the if the Phillies had won either of these games, they would have gone to the postseason. They only need one more win to get to the postseason. And if they won that last day of the season, they were in. Aaron Nola goes out. He gets it through three and two-thirds. You know? Uh, gives up three runs in, in three and two-thirds innings. That is not good enough. That is not going to get it done. And we need to see more from him down the stretch. We need to see more from him in these big spots. And so far, when pitching in big spots, Aaron Nola has failed the test. And I know everybody doesn't want to admit it, um, but but it hasn't been good enough so far. And I like Aaron Nola. I think he's a good pitcher. Needs to be better if the Phillies are truly going to have that one-two punch with he and Wheeler that is going to carry them through uh, to major success. Uh, you look at Eflin. Um, I liked what we saw from Zach Eflin last year. I thought he took a, a real step forward. I think he's a solid, you know, uh, certainly a, a, he's a good number four, um, but I think he's a fine number three in your rotation. You'd expect him to make more strides moving forward here. Um, still uh, a relatively young guy, um, only 26 years of age, and you'd think he'll get better. And, and you know, I think he was one of the guys that really benefited from the new pitching staff. Um, certainly, uh, I thought, took major steps forward in 2020. Um, lowered that ERA uh, from, and he's really improved since 2017 where, you know, he had a 6-1-6 in 2017, 2018, 4 3 2019, 4-1-3. Last year gets it under four for the first time. Um, so I'm excited uh, for what we're going to see from Zach Eflin this year. And 
Um, I think he's poised to step into that number three role and really give the Phillies a reliable number three, which they haven't had, which, you know, you're looking before. And the number three guy was Jake Arrieta. And we know Jake Arrieta was was unreliable um, from a physical from a physical standpoint, staying healthy and from a performance standpoint when he was healthy, very inconsistent. So uh, they're your three guys that are locked in. And then you look at the rest of the rotation and you basically have four pitchers competing for two spots. And it's uh, Spencer Howard, uh, the rookie last year who struggled. Vince Velasquez, who I know a lot of people can't stand Vinny Velo. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a huge fan, but I, I honestly think you could do worse. Uh, Matt Moore, uh, a signing, a veteran lefty, and Chase Anderson, uh, a veteran righty. I mean, we know a lot about Howard and Velasquez, so let's look at the other two guys first. Matt Moore, uh, he um, has not pitched in the major leagues since 2019. Didn't play last year. Only pitched two games in 2019. So you're really taking a flyer here. Um, I would expect Matt Moore would not get a spot in the rotation. Uh, Last time he pitched in the majors, uh, he pitched two games, like I said, in 2019. His 2018 season uh, was not good. His 2017 season in San Francisco was not good. Um, So he's at camp arm. He'll have an opportunity. I do not think he will get one of those spots. And then uh, Chase Anderson comes over uh, from Toronto's where he was last year, did not have a good year. Prior to that, though, um, a few years in Milwaukee um, where he was pretty good. I would expect Chase Anderson to win a spot in this rotation. I'd expect those four or five spots to be Chase Anderson and Vince Velasquez. Now, that would make your rotation all right-handed, which the Phillies have always, I mean, really since Cole Hamels, they have struggled to find a quality left-handed starting pitcher. I mean, it feels like every year they're going into the, the the season with all righties. And it's not necessarily, you don't necessarily have to have a lefty, but it is nice to mix it up. But I would expect Anderson and Velasquez um, to win those spots. You know, it's not a great rotation. And four and five are definitely weaker. I mean, you, you get through the first three. I like the first three. But then a pretty big drop-off to Anderson and Velasquez. And you hope one of those guys at least can step up, give you a good season. Um, but, you know, we we will see uh, how it all pans out. But Spencer Howard's the X factor. Obviously, he struggled mightily last year. There are high expectations with him coming up. Um, and he struggled. You know, I, I, I think Spencer Howard has the potential to be a good pitcher down the line. Um Last year, weird circumstances. Maybe that plays into it a little bit. Uh, And I would expect him at some point to be with the big club in the rotation. Um, But I do not think he will make the starting rotation out of camp. So I think Anderson and Velasquez probably win those final two spots. You look at the bullpen. um, Phillies acquire Archie Bradley, which that's really their big addition in the bullpen. And they needed desperately uh, to solidify that bullpen. Now, Bradley had six saves uh, last season uh, for uh, both Arizona and Cincinnati um, combined. And, you know, he's a guy who is the Phillies, certainly their prized addition in the pen. He had a 2.95 last year. You hope he can solidify things. And we all know the bullpen struggles last year. But, you know, you look at the bullpen – you're looking at Bradley. You're looking at Hector Naris, who Hector's inconsistent. Sometimes he 
you know, Hefter will go through stretches where he's great. He'll go through stretches where he's where he's really unreliable and bad. And and it really is with Hector Neris. It's so he's so reliant on his splitter, where when his splitter's on, he's almost unhittable. But when he's hanging it or he's not getting guys to chase, it's not staying in the zone, it's not enticing hitters, he'll walk a lot of batters um, and, and struggle. So, you know, Hector's inconsistent, but certainly a, an arm to have in that bullpen that, you know, will make this roster. Um, JoJo Romero is another guy, a left-hander, pitched well last year. You know, he's an interesting character. He should be in the bullpen to start the year. Hopefully you get a, a DC year out of him. Phillies uh, bring in Jose Alvarado. He was injured last year, spent time with Tampa Bay. When he's healthy, he's pretty good, and he's going to be a good left-handed addition. Um, and then Connor Brogdon, who pitched well toward the end of last year. You know, and those guys are really the only locks I see in the bullpen. And then you got guys like David Hale, Ramon Rosso, uh, Ranger Suarez, Sam Conrude, um, all these guys kind of competing for bullpen spots with, you know, several other pitchers as well. But the five guys that I would lock in to start the year in that pen, Bradley, Neris, Romero, Alvarado, and and Brogdon. Uh, So the bullpen should be improved, hopefully. Uh, Bradley and Alvarado should help solidify it. But a lot of it's got to come from the own organization. And a lot of it's got to come from Joe Girardi. And I thought Joe Girardi kind of got off the hook easily last year where, you know, Joe Girardi didn't have a good season. And the bullpen wasn't good, but Joe Girardi also never pushed the right buttons. Like, how many times you got to go to Brandon Workman in the ninth inning before you realize, Joe, it's not working out. Like, stop going to him every single night. And, you know, it's something we would have crushed Gabe for. And... Joe Girardi did not get criticized very much last year, and he needs to be better with how he works that bullpen. Um, Phillies bring in Caleb Cotham, the new pitching coach. Hopefully he can provide some, some you know, stability as far as tutoring these guys. A lot was made of Brian Price last year, and, and Brian Price didn't seem to have a very positive effect. So uh, we shall see uh, what happens with the pen, but hopefully – the Phillies able uh, to improve a little bit there with the additions of Bradley and Alvarado specifically. Look at the catcher spot, obviously getting JT back is huge. Andrew Knapp actually had a good year last year as the backup catcher. Um, I'd expect him to win that that job, and Raphael Marshawn would be the guy on call from Lehigh Valley, who actually did a nice job when he had to come up and play. He hit a big home run last year uh, in a game late in the season. Um, you look at... at the first base position. Now, Reese Hoskins, I don't know when he's going to be back. Um, I, I don't think he will be ready to begin the regular season. But, uh, you know, Reese Hoskins uh, had off-season surgery. You hope he can get back soon. Whenever he is, he'll, he'll slot in. And Reese Hoskins, you know, he's a very streaky hitter. He is. Like, last year, started awfully, and then for a few weeks, he was one of the most dynamic hitters in baseball. I mean, it, it seemed like he'd lost his power. I was I was ready to be out on Reese Hoskins. And then all of a sudden, he goes on a crazy tear. And if he could ever sustain that, I mean, he could be a, a real, he could be an all-star level, potentially MVP caliber type hitter if he can sustain that for even, you know, 100 games of a 162-game season. Not on that kind of tear, but just... Be a little more consistent, put the ball in play a little more, um, you know, and and continue to hit for power. 
Uh, Alec Bohm is your third baseman. He'll probably play first if Reese misses a period of time. Um, but Bohm obviously was very good last year. He is somebody who you'll look at for the future as uh, a cornerstone. So excited to see what Alec Bohm can bring. And the Phillies bring back Brad Miller, kind of a corner infield platoon guy. Also plays a little outfield. Was here a couple years ago. Uh, Bamboo Brad. He brought the bamboo in the uh, clubhouse, which everybody liked. Um, And Brad Miller uh, should be an interesting guy as well. Coming off the bench, solidify that bench because the Phillies, uh, that was one of the other areas last year where, you know, gets overlooked, but uh, they weren't very strong on that bench as far as pinch pinch hitters goes. Uh, Brad Miller should help solidify them there. Uh, You look at second base, that's going to be Gene Segura's job. You know, uh, again, though, unless Hoskins misses time, Bohm moves to first, Segura plays third, and Scott Kingery plays second. Segura, you kind of know what you're going to get from him. Uh, Scott Kingery's a really interesting one. Scott Kingery's at a pivotal point in his career, as I see it. Like, Scott Kingery needs to find his footing here. And he needs to uh, figure out how to be more consistent. And, you know, for a guy who had so many expectations three years ago, it seems like a like a short time ago, um, but this is going to be Scott Canary's fourth year. And so much was made about, I remember the debate going into the 2018 season was how could the Phillies possibly leave Scott Kingery down in AAA to start? He needs to be up in the majors. It's like this is why it, it, it's stupid to lose a year of a guy's clock because, you know, a lot of times they're not ready for this level anyway. Scott Kingery looked great in the minors. It doesn't mean he is going to immediately be a star at the major league level. And, you know, he really has struggled. Um and I don't know if it has to do with them moving around to the field. I don't think that's as big a deal as people make it out to be. I, I think, you know. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for another couple segments here. Uh, as I told you, we're going to uh, let you hear some interviews with with some people giving you national and local perspective. We'll have Ruben Frank coming up in the next segment. He joined Joe and John on Friday to discuss the Carson Wentz situation, but I wanted to give you a little feel nationally. And um, Mike Lombardi is obviously a controversial guy, and, uh, you know, he has several takes on the Eagles, worked with this organization once upon a time, and, um, you know, covers the league nationally for, uh, you know, the the athletics. So uh, I wanted to let you hear Mike Lombardi on with Angelo from Friday morning, breaking it all down, had some interesting takes on the situation, here was the uh, the uh, what, what's what's the what's the title uh, that that he has the football genius yeah that's right the uh, football genius I believe is is what it is but you know, the gridiron genius I'm sorry the gridiron genius it was uh, kind of uh, get, I, I was getting a little stuck there I used to always on Friday mornings when we were at Borgata and Mike Lombardi would come on um, I'd always give Angelo the little sheet of of things that we always had to say for Mike Lombardi and his uh, book Gridiron Genius was always something I put on there. So just a a little tale of things behind the scenes. Uh, But here is Mike Lombardi with Angelo and the morning team from Friday morning. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing wrong with the brain of a man who is called the Gridiron Genius because he wrote a book to that nature. You can read it. It's fantastic. He's also part of the GM Shuffle podcast, and he works at TheAthletic.com, the legendary Mike Lombardi. Hi, Mike. 
Good morning, everyone. Mike, how did Howie do with this trade for Carson Wentz? You know, I I think it was probably uh, as fair as he was going to get, despite the reports of two number ones and a three and how much interest in the billboards he was taking out with the worldwide leader. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, this is about what the value should be. There's a lot of risk on the Colts' part. They, you know, they send a three. That's really not significant. And really, it's going to come down to that two. Can they get this? And if they get this player turned around, you know, that they'll be gladly happy to pay a pick in the low 20s in 2022 in the first round. If they don't, you know, then it costs them a, a mid-second round pick and $25 million. But for the Colts' part, they get really low base salaries for the next four years. You know, tw- you know his cap number won't be too bad. And they believe they can fix them. For the Eagles, I think they got the best of a bad situation. I don't think they were going to do much better than this, even though they had these ideas that they were going to get a first-round pick. All right, but see, the best of a bad situation was created by them. They traded no three ones, two twos, two players to move up to get a guy who they then devalued to the point where they wasted tens of millions of dollars on him, Mike, blew out their salary cap, and got – really a pittance compared to what they had given up. This is no, horrible management, isn't it? Well, I think that's really where the question lies. How did this happen? You know, and, and there's a lot of conversations about what about Wentz feeling entitled. Well, how did he feel entitled? There was a lot of conversations in the National Football League about Wentz being not coachable. Well, how did he become not coachable? You know, what has happened when this kid was there and what transformed and what changed? And I, and I think there lies the problem fundamentally from their culture inside the building. I think that's what has to be evaluated because they're acting like a drunken sailor. We want this guy. Now we don't want this guy. And the behavior in terms of cash dollars and draft picks doesn't add up to the decision making. There's no denying that. And if they're really honest with themselves, they have to do an autopsy of why this happened because they allowed the wench train to get down this road. Someone did. Someone felt he was he felt he was entitled. And then there was a disconnect with his teammates. And that disconnect permeated all through the locker room. But how did that start? What's the cause of that? What was the effect of that? We know the effect. They had to trade him. What was the cause? All right, but I'm looking at a a particular moment in last season, Mike, where they had just uh, drafted Jalen Hurts, and he had a great skill set. They wanted to use him in plays. And they wouldn't take Wentz off the field because they knew it would hurt his feelings. I mean, when you see that, is there a conclusion you could draw other than that the Eagles were ridiculously coddling Carson Wentz? Yeah, they're, they're, that's how they did it. I mean, and, and I think it affected the team. I think that's where he lost connect with his teammates. They they entitled him. They felt, you know, he they put him on a pedestal, their pedestal. They didn't treat him as the other players. There was double standard within the locker room. And that permeates its way through where players feel resentful. You know, the greatest quarterback who's won seven titles got treated the same way in the New England locker room for six titles. He never got entitled. One of the reasons he probably wanted to leave was because he didn't get entitlement. And so because of that, you know, you you create a double standard within your own culture, within your own leadership, and that really affects you. You know, your best player, your best player, this is a Jeff Van Gundy quote, must set the tone of intolerance for anything that gets in the way of winning. When your best player is entitled and is operating on a different standard, you have no culture. You have no organization. You know, and that's what ultimately happened. Mike, you know what's fascinating about it? You're talking about Brady. Um, Brady, in the one year he was not with Belichick, 
got ripped by Arians a few times. He openly, publicly criticized them. They didn't even coddle the greatest quarterback of all time. I do not understand why the Eagles approached it this way. Because a lot of coaches in the National Football League, a lot of people in the National Football League don't like confrontation. They don't like to talk because it could get to the media. Well, this guy's a jerk. You know, this guy's – and then they won a head coaching job. They're not going to – players want to get coached. And so it's a political arena inside the building. Oh, you know, I, can't, I, I really don't want to tell him he's, he can't handle the truth. Well, you know, the only way you can really get players to respect you is tell them the truth. You have to be brutally honest. And you've got to tell them, look, this isn't good enough. You know, this isn't, this isn't going to be able to, for us to have a standard of excellence. Right. And if you can't do that, you've got to get out of the coaching profession. You've got to get out of the general managing profession because you can't just humor your way through it. You've got to be honest and, and, and tell them the truth. So is that the way you handle a diva? you got to be honest with him from the start and say, you're just a member of the team. You're not going to get any special privileges. Is that how well, you handle I mean, it? I th- yeah, I mean, I think what you have to be able to do is, look, Carson, you're not running up to my office, the general manager, to tell me what's wrong. You're not running to the owners to tell him what's wrong. You're not, you're not going to run to the head. You, you, there's a system here. You know, you're no different. You know, you're a great player. We paid you. We, we want you to be a great player. But you've got to operate within the framework of the team. And if you can't operate within the framework of the team, then all hell breaks loose. I mean, I think ultimately the reason they had to trade him is because they couldn't repair the damage that was done. You know, I think everybody, all of us, me included, felt like the person that was going to come in was going to fix Wentz, was going to solve the $45 million problem. What we found out was the, fu- the problem was unfixable, that it was so bad that they had to get him out of the locker room. Mike, the next question I'm going to ask you is the one that the fans care most about. How in God's name? Is Howie Roseman surviving the past three years of mismanagement of this organization? I don't think that's a really hard question to answer, Angelo. I think that he's doing exactly what the owner wants him to do. You know, people view Howie as an independent contractor. People view Howie as having this power to do anything he wants to do. I think if you look at the way they make decisions in the Eagles, I think the owner's involved. And I think these decisions come as much from him as they come from Howie in a group collaborative effort. Then, you, you know, know I, I, I don't think it's I don't think this is if this was a dictatorship and it was just one person, it wouldn't be too hard to figure out, look, we got to make a change. Mike, but it's not. Mike, it's it's collaboration. Mike, I, I agree with what you're saying. I kind of thought you would give me that answer. Then I need the owner who has let us down spectacularly to acknowledge his own failures. Is that asking too much to ask of a billionaire? I think that that's part of the game of the NFL. There's this thing called Oliver North invented it. It's called plausible deniability. I used to tell Al Davis all the time. I said, Mr. Davis, everybody wants to be you. Everybody wants to be you. Every, every owner in the league wants to wield this power of controlling what goes on, but then not have accountability for it. And that was the truth. Now, Al, you know, he, he knew football. He understood the game. He, he taught me the game. He knew way more than I could ever possibly know. But he operated behind the scenes. Nobody really knew that he ran the defense. Nobody knew what he did. You know, people, they still tweet me, you picked Jamarcus Russell. No, wait a minute, time out. Let's be clear. There's only one man who picked Jamarcus Russell, okay? So let's make that clear. But the reality here is this, is everybody in the league wants to yield power without, without having accountability. And, right. and this is what we have in the league. And this is why, once again, there's really probably only eight franchises that are truly competing for a title. Mike, what are the immediate prospects for Carson Wentz in Indianapolis? 
Well, it's, you know, I wrote this for The Athletic yesterday, Angelo. I think really what we have to do is stop thinking these quarterbacks are franchise quarterbacks. There is no franchise quarterback, really. Even Peyton Manning, as great as he was, you know, you would be, if you were a radio show host in Indianapolis, you would be well disappointed that in Manning's 12 years there, he went to, he went to three conference championship games. He went to two Super Bowls. He won one, lost one. That's really shallow compared to the greatness of Peyton Manning. And so what you must be able to do if Carson Wentz, he's got to be part of the team. He's got to, be, he's got to humble himself first. That's the number one thing he's got to do. He's got to get under center a little bit. He's got to be able to run the play-action pass game that, that he can run, that he ran effectively in 17. He's not an RPO quarterback. And then he's got to get his eye level back up. And he's got to be able to stay in there and take a hit and throw the ball down the field. And then he's got to engage in his teammates. He's got to be one of the guys. He can't be entitled, and he won't be entitled. He's going to have to come in there and earn a job, and they're going to have to put it in front of him. And I think he'll try to do that. If he can salvage his career, that's how he's got to do it. Mike, last thing. Um, Eagles are in historic territory. They're going to take a $34 million salary cap hit on Carson Wentz this season. Um, Is there any way to recover from that, or are you now looking at a, a bleak year, maybe more than one year? Oh, I think that's, you know, I think this has been the multi. I mean, that's why. Why do you pick Frank? Why do you pick Nick Sirianni over Josh McDaniels? Why do you do all that? Because you're rebuilding, right? You're going to grow. You're going to rebuild. This is a teardown. This wow. is a teardown. And, you know, you've got to get the permits. You're going to have to get the light. You're going to have to get a bunch of contractors to come in. You've got to <laughs> fix this thing. This is a teardown. No matter what they say, it's a teardown. They're going to draft a quarterback. Don't you be surprised oh, about that. Oh, don't say that. Don't you be surprised about that. This is a teardown. Another you know, quarterback? You- you're going to get permits. You're going to get contractors. You got to get plumbers. You got to get masonry. It's a whole work, Angelo. Now hold on. It's going to be- hold on. Uh, is Mike Lombardi saying on this show right now, with the sixth pick of this draft, the Eagles will take another quarterback? I think I am saying that, yeah, Angelo. Uh, and I and I will even go. I'll even uh, couple down on that. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they traded up just a little uh, bit to get the one that they want. How would they know? How would they know? Where's their track record? Well, when you're geniuses with an eraser, you know everything. Mike, Mike, yeah, I love you, Mike. Mike, you're always great, man. I appreciate great insight as always, Mike. Thanks, pal. Thanks, Angelo. Bye-bye. And there was Mike Lombardi giving, uh, you know, his opinion on how this all went down. And um, Mike, very plugged-in guy. You know, his his son still works in the NFL, works uh, with the Patriots, Obviously, that's where Mike Lombardi spent uh, a lot of his time. You heard him talking about Al Davis in there, and you know he spent a lot of time with the Raiders as well. Um, but Mike Lombardi also spent time with the Eagles, and he has a very interesting perspective. Somebody who's worked in this organization and you know has a pretty intimate knowledge of how things are run here. And one thing specifically that I wanted to touch on that Mike mentioned in that interview which I found was was um, interesting and, and something that I uh, agree with, where he's talking about Howie Roseman. And, I mean, let's let's be honest here. I mean, I, I don't think Mike and Howie are sending each other Christmas cards. Okay, I'll just leave it at that. Um, but Mike Lombardi, uh, you know, says during that interview that, in regards to Howie, and the question was, why is Howie still here? And that is something I've heard a lot. And we, we've heard a lot over the last couple of years and certainly since the end of the season. If you're going to fire Doug, if Carson Wentz is going to be gone, 
how can those two guys be gone and how he is still here when all three of them were seemingly tied at the hip in 2016, 2017, and beyond? Well, I thought Mike made a really cogent point right there and one that I, to a certain extent, agree with is that Howie is, is, is a conduit from Jeffrey Lord. And, you know, is Howie really doing these, these things completely independent of himself? And I, 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 I think that's something we got to look deeper at. And, you know, we'll examine this more over the course of the next couple nights. But I think you could read into when Jeffrey Lurie did his post-game press conference or post-season press conference, post-firing press conference, whatever you want to call it. It was the day that the Eagles decided they were going to move on from Doug. And just hearing Jeffrey Lurie in that press conference, you could tell he is much more involved now than he has ever been before. And I don't think that is a good thing. Um, I am in the minority. I understand that. Uh, But I am in the minority where I think that Howie Roseman is not some incompetent. I still think Howie Roseman knows what he's doing. Is he perfect? No, he is not perfect. But I think he'd do a lot worse as far as somebody running your football team. And when it was how he showed a run in 2016-2017, you saw the results bear, bear, fruit, bear fruit. Now, this doesn't mean how he's absolved of everything that happened the last couple of years. The general manager. I mean, he's making a, uh, a lot of these decisions. He's involved in these decisions. I don't think this is just Howie Roseman running rampant here and being a dictator in that organization. I don't. Because I think a lot of the things that have been done are just as much Jeffrey Lurie-driven as they are Howie Roseman-driven. I, I, I truly, truly believe that. And especially when you look at the constant bringing back and the inability to cut ties with older players. And I'll look at the move this year that, you know, I think seemed fine at the time, but turned out to to be a a disaster. When Brandon Brooks got hurt and the Eagles brought back Jason Peters play right guard. And we all know what happened from there. Diller gets hurt. There's the whole controversy about whether he wants to move to left tackle or not, which is absurd to me. He's a guy on the roster. If you want to move him, you move him. And Jason Peters shouldn't be able to dictate to you what position he's going to play. But I think that was total, totally a Jeffrey Lurie decision. I mean, Jeffrey Lurie, Jason Peters, as I believe described Jeffrey Lurie before, as one of his best friends. You know, I think that was a Jeffrey Lurie-driven decision. Not that how he's not involved in it, but you got you to gotta question, like, when we ask why is Howie still here, why do you think he's still here? He's obviously doing something that the owner likes. And I think a lot of these things that Howie has done has been with not only Jeffrey Lurie's consent, but in some ways Jeffrey Lurie's, you know, ideas and decision-making. And it's Howie executing them. It's Howie not talking Jeffrey Lurie out of bad decisions. That's a mistake. But Howie's job is to obviously build a good football team, but it's also to please the owner. And I think a lot of what's gone wrong here 
is Jeffrey Lurie being too hands-on. And if you're going to have Howie running the show, then Howie's got to run the show. And then you can truly hold him accountable. And that's what should happen this year, where Howie Roseman should have this offseason. He, um, with the assistance of his personnel department, the people he trusts should make the decision. Then you evaluate, evaluate him based on that. But Jeffrey Lurie was a very effective owner when he was in the shadows, when he was, you know, allowing the people who he trusted to do their jobs to do their jobs during the Andy Reid Joe Banner era. And that's what Jeffrey Lurie needs to get back to because as much as he might want to be, he's not a football guy. You know, and um, I think a lot of this, why Howie is, is not being held accountable or Howie is not being fired, I think a lot of it is is because Jeffrey Lurie knows he's just as culpable for a lot of these things that have happened, if not more, than Howie Roseman. Um, next segment, I will let you hear Ruben Frank uh, to end the show. Ruben joined uh, Joe DeCamera and John Ritchie on Friday to break down the Wentz trade. So we will uh, play that when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for one more segment here as we close out the show. I will be back on with you uh, tomorrow night uh, slash morning, filling in for Big Daddy Grandma Sunday into a Monday. We will continue to dissect all of the Carson Wentz uh, fallout from the trade. Uh, Also, we got a Sixers-Raptors game down in Tampa to discuss, see what happens Sunday night, if the Sixers can... uh, Continue this modest winning streak here. But um, to finish out the show, I want to let you hear Ruben Frank on with Joe DeCamera, John Ritchie from Friday and uh, go through a couple things Ruben had to say um, when that is finished. But here was Ruben Frank from Friday with the Midday Guys. All right, our first guest of the day does a sensational job covering the Philadelphia Eagles. Of course, one of our own here at WIP and works for NBC Sports Philadelphia as well. We talk to Mr. Ruben Frank. How you doing, Rube? Hey, guys. Rube, the deal is finally done. Do you think Howie did well with this deal? Well, I think he did well uh, yesterday. I think he mishandled the the whole thing from start to finish. uh, Other than, you know, I'm actually surprised. I mean, they'll probably get a one back. You know, Carson's going to play 12, 13. He'll probably, if he stays healthy, he's going to get that 75% snap. So they're going to get a one back and and a three, which is more than, actually more than I expected. Um, so that part of it he handled well. Uh, I, I just think that, uh, you know, A, he didn't surround Carson with enough talent to to succeed here. B, he drafted Jalen Hurts knowing full well that Carson was a sensitive type of guy who was not going to react uh, positively uh, to that. And it was a guy that they didn't really need at, at that point. They just, as we know, just signed Carson to a huge deal. So I, I think there were a lot of, significant miscalculations but as far as the compensation that he got considering there were there were no teams bidding against the Colts so uh it, it was basically you know one team that wanted Carson that that surprised me a little bit I thought there'd be a little more interest maybe the Patriots maybe the Broncos uh maybe the um the 49ers I, I thought there'd be other teams involved so considering that uh, I think the compensation you have to be happy with who won the deal, Rube? The Colts or the Eagles? I think Carson won the deal. Uh, I, I, you know, he's he's going to a place that's got the infrastructure. It's it's got the the O line, the weapons, the coach. 
Um, he, he'll be playing in a dome as opposed to being outdoors in, in, in the Northeast. Uh, I, I think it's a good situation for him to, to succeed. I mean, everything's in place. There's no excuses now. Um, I, I think the Eagles did well to get the picks they got. I, I just, I, I will never, I will never believe that there wasn't a way to make it work here with Carson. And, uh, you know, I, I hold the front office, I hold Howie accountable for not getting him DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson when he had, had the opportunity to do it. If he did that, this never happens. If he doesn't draft Jalen Hurts and he drafts DK Metcalf and Justin, do you think, you think he's a Colt now? There's no way. Right. Because he wouldn't have played the way he played. He wouldn't have gotten benched. Hurts wouldn't have been here. The, everything would have been different if the front office had done their job. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a good deal for everybody. He, he, you couldn't bring him back. I mean, it, it, we were way beyond that point. He didn't want to be here. Uh, you, you had to find a, a new home for him and get whatever you could back. Um, so uh, in that in that way, as far as the present moment, I think both both teams got what they wanted. Uh, but I, I, I just think that the Eagles mishandled this every step of the way. Rube, beyond just horrible decision-making on personnel that affected, as you're saying, a lot of people that, that surrounded Carson, do you think the Eagles mismanaged their um, handling of Carson? Did they coddle him too much? Did they stroke his ego too much? Did they bend to his will too much? Did they not bend to his will enough? The, the behind-the-scenes type stuff, how do you think they managed or mismanaged that? Yeah, that's a great question, um, and and I think I think Doug would tell you, and you know we haven't talked to Doug since he got fired, but um, I, I think he would tell you that he probably coddled him too much, and uh, you know, it, it, but it's a tricky thing because if you have a guy that responds to that, and for you know for three years he was playing really well, and he was playing well, being coddled, and 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 you know, hey, you're the man, you're the guy, you're you know, but. Uh, then this past year, obviously, one, I mean, once they drafted Hurts, it was too. It, it, everything was done. It was it was over. Once they drafted Jalen Hurts, April 29th, it was done, and there was no amount of coddling at that point that could salvage the relationship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of like having a kid that you know you spoil, so he doesn't cry. So, you know, you get the benefit of not crying, but you create a monster, and and that's kind of what happened. Um, you know, and while I do hold the Eagles responsible for this happening i really would have liked to seen carson react differently and and show a little more fight and show a little more toughness a little more grit when, when you bring in a competitor instead of you know instead of letting it affect yeah. you negatively you know, let it drive you let it motivate you and i think most of us as competitors you know even if you're in little league if they, you, know, the, you know we just you know we just added a big kid from down the street you know you're not playing first base anymore rube well you know what i'm going to go out and go take extra batting practice and every, everybody's going to do that you're going to respond positively to the challenge and he didn't do that and that's disappointing to me is carson wentz the best quarterback in eagles history over his first 5 years no i mean donovan mcnabb won what seven playoff games in his first 5 years now, Carson threw three passes in the playoffs. I, mm-hmm. Statistically, yeah, he's got a higher this and a better that. But uh, I, I look at Donovan and and what he was able to do. Didn't have great weapons. I mean, he didn't have T.O. until, what, his sixth year. Uh, so his first five years, I mean, he was, he was in the playoffs three years. Uh, went to his first two NFC Championship games. Uh, made his first three Pro Bowls. Um, Donovan wasn't – I mean, he never completed the deal. He, he never won it. But, 
to me, what, what Donovan was able to do, even if his stats don't match up with Carson, uh, he, he's, as far as overall body of work, he's the greatest quarterback in history. You can make a case for Nick just for what he did, you know, in, in 2017. But if, if, I was, if I had to say, I'd say Donovan. Um, and, and I think what Carson failed to do, never won a playoff game, never finished a playoff game, um, and, and never really had sustained – you know, success really kind of should focus a little more attention on how good, how consistent Donovan was. And he had his faults and, you know, he, he made himself unlikable and, you know, he had his issues. But when you look at body of work, it's got to be five. Uh, how likely is it the Eagles draft a first round quarterback? I'm convinced they will. I'm wow. convinced of it. I hold down my mind. How wow. is this personnel department better or differently equipped to evaluate players for the 2021 draft? Yeah, well, they're not, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, they do have some good people in there. Um, you know, you kind of wish uh, Dorsey was still with, with the franchise. But um, the the one thing is, at number six, you know, you're, you're a little bit more – I hate to use the word Howie-proof, but when you pick it at number six <laughs> – you know you're gonna you have a pretty good chance of getting that pick right, even if you don't have the world's greatest scouting department. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I, I think there's a good chance they'll take a quarterback there. I think um, you, you just hope they don't just you know all this you know we're just going to be creative here. We're going to do something different. Just take the best freaking player at number six and start rebuilding your roster. Uh, they they need you know so whether it's one of the receivers or, or even a corner. Uh, uh, an O tackle. I mean, there's there's great players that are going to be there at six, but I, I think they're going to take a, a quarterback. And I, I keep coming back to Trey Lance. Maybe trade down a little bit, but I, I mean, how how great would that be? How ironic would that? <laughs> that be? would I be mean. unbelievable. <laughs> Reuben Frank with us. Reuben, when when Nick Sirianni was hired, I would say most people thought it was to fix Carson because he came from Frank Reich and Indy. Was that a misconception? Do you think the Eagles had already essentially made up their mind? When they hired Sirianni, that they were going to trade Carson. Yes, yeah, they, they had. They they knew at that point it wasn't salvageable. Um, and, and Nick, you know, he tried. He called. He talked to Carson. Shane Steichen talked to Carson. Uh, but the damage was uh, irrevocable at that point. Um, so it looked that way. But you know, you don't hire a coach to for for one player anyway. I mean, because who knows? Who knows what happened? You're hoping that coach is here a long time. Who knows how long Carson will be here after this contract? gets hurt or whatever so you can't really do that um i yeah I, I think their perception was there but i don't think that was ever the case they knew they knew before the season was over that things weren't getting fixed with carson yeah. rube do you think carson put something out in the next two or three days to address the fans thank the city and, and thank the eagles as an organization or does he just let I that sure go hope so yeah i yeah i sure hope he does um you know he's uh he did some great things here. And, you know, the one thing I, I worry about is that he won't be remembered for the good things. And um, I, you know, I, like any player, there's good and bad. And the, the bad is freshest in our memories because he was so bad this year. But I mean, they don't win the Super Bowl if he doesn't go 11 and two, because I'll tell you what, you know, if Nick Foles played that whole year, they're not the number one seed. As much as I love Nick, that's probably the case. You know, Carson went 11 and two that year. And, um, you know, he handed it off to Nick, but um, I, I don't think they win the Super Bowl without what Carson Wentz did that year. And 
um, you know, you think about all the great plays and the great throws and the great wins. Um, and he was a tough, you know, he's a tough competitor for, you know, for those three years. Think about some of those goal line runs, um, just how physically tough he was. I don't know about the mental side of it. I think you have to be mentally tough to play that well. But uh, I hope people remember, you know, remember that. And I think something like an open letter, you know, like we we did the deuce letter a few weeks ago. And yeah. he he wanted to take a chance to say goodbye the right way. I really hope Carson does that. I agree. Malcolm had a great one as well. Rube, as always, awesome stuff from NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com, Mr. Ruben Frank. Ruben, thanks so much. Have a great weekend, man. You too, guys. All thanks, right, Ruben. Is, Ruben Frank. And that was Ruben Frank on with the Midday Show on Friday. And a few things uh, to touch on from, from what Rube had to say there. And, you know, number one, and this is something Rube wrote this week on NBC Sports Philadelphia. I mentioned a number of times when I was on the other night, but a really good piece in regards to the Jalen Hurts pick and in Rube's, you know, assessment here, um, he thinks that's where it all went wrong. And that, you know, the Jalen Hurts draft choice um, was kind of what broke Carson Wentz, talked about it there, uh, as far as the way that Carson responded to that, the way it handled that. He he handled that, and he viewed it as a betrayal, um, you know, as Rube had said uh, on his piece. And – you know, it, that is, to me, uh, the point here where you you really got to hold Carson accountable. Where I, I understand how the previous dynamics with Nick Foles could have been an issue where, you know, it could create a situation where Carson Wentz is in a, a difficult position. And that... You know, he could be looking over his shoulder and worried about the backup quarterback. But at some point, that's something you got to get over. And at some point, you got to understand that the team can't just have Nate Sudfeld as its backup quarterback because it's something that makes you feel comfortable. Like, it's got to be what's in the team's best interest. And I, I don't excuse Carson Wentz for the way he handled that situation. Um, he handled it very poorly. And in the end, it led to his, his downfall here or maybe cemented his downfall here. Because I think, you know, a lot of this stuff started a long time ago when you look at the anonymous source reports, um, the stories that have come out, the Nick Foles stuff. This is the culmination of of a long process and a long list of things. But that Jalen Hurts selection um, clearly impacted Carson this year. I mean, there's no excuse. There's no explanation for him playing as poorly as he played. There's none except that that was a serious issue here. And, um, you know, you do wish he had responded better, as Ruben brought up there. Anybody in any level, like anybody in any business, if, if, if somebody's coming to take your job, you're going to work harder. You know, you're, you're going you're gonna to do more to try to make yourself better so that you don't get, you know, things taken away. And you don't have somebody looking over your shoulder. And, and you know, Howie Roseman, I played the sound the other night. He didn't think this was a possibility. He said Carson's not going to be looking over his shoulder. The Eagles were fully confident this wouldn't affect Carson. That was a misjudgment on their part. Um, but shouldn't have been something the Eagles had to worry about. So, uh, talked about that. Also, you know, the best Eagles quarterback in their first five years in history. Now, people will just look at stats and say, oh, it's Carson. It, it, no. I mean, Carson Wentz had a 
successful five years, I would say, the first two. I mean, the the rookie year, even though the Eagles didn't make the playoffs out of losing record, it was still a positive year based on what we saw and what we could project forward. Obviously, 2017, very impressive. But ever since, not great. I mean, Carson Wentz, his record as a starter in, in 18 and 19 was 14 and 13. And we're not talking about anything great from a team success standpoint. And people will look at stats. You really can't look at stats. You can't because the the per, two people you'd compare here for the best Eagles quarterback in their first five years, Carson Wentz, Donovan McNabb. Yeah, Carson's stats are going to look dramatically better. It's so much of a different league now than it was 15 years ago. I mean, Carson's first five years, 16 to 20. Donovan's 99 to 03. That is a 17-year difference. In 17 years, this league has changed dramatically. And when you look at what Donovan did, the success as a team that Donovan had, the playoff success, even though it didn't culminate in the Super Bowl, Donovan McNabb was absolutely the best quarterback for his first five years in Eagles history and the best quarterback in Eagles history. Like, obviously, Nick Foles is held in a, a different, you know, kind of a high category because of what he accomplished in the playoffs in the Super Bowl. But as a whole, Donovan McNabb, was the best quarterback in Eagles franchise history the first five years and in totality as well. So wanted to touch on that. And then Rube with the suggestion that the Eagles are going to draft Trey Lance. And we talk, we've talked about whether they're going to draft a quarterback. And as I've said, that's something they have to consider. If they don't consider it, they're not doing their job as an organization. But they can't really draft Trey Lance, can they? I mean, there's no, there's no way. Even I don't believe. That is something that, that can happen. They're not really going to draft Trey Lance. You can't draft another North Dakota State quarterback after what just happened with Carson Wentz. And, you know, I don't think the Eagles do everything with fans in mind. Obviously, they don't, or else they wouldn't have done a lot of the things they have done over the past couple of years. Um, but they're aware of optics. They're aware of reaction. And I just I don't think that's a road they are going to go. I don't. As much as they might love Trey, and who knows? I guess if they love him and they are that sold that this guy is going to be, you know, I don't know, the next Patrick Mahomes, then, yeah, you, you take him. But, I I mean, I haven't watched enough of them. I, I guess that's not the case. And unless it is just they feel like he is so head and shoulders above everybody else available, I don't see them drafting Trey Lance because I don't see the Eagles bringing back that kind of blowback that would certainly come back if they drafted another North North Dakota State quarterback uh, fresh off trading Carson Wentz. So that'll do it for the show tonight. I will be back on tomorrow filling in for Big Daddy Graham at 2 a.m. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Dan Wilson for producing. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.